0: Hello there, welcome to episode 195 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. Yes, that's right, it still is that actually, actually yes it is. Uh, my name's Stephen Hill, hope you're well. Um, listen guys, before we go any further, um, the, it, i'm not gonna fess up if you listen to the podcast a fair bit it's been a bit stressful the last few weeks it's been a little bit stressful i don't want to go into too much as to why it's been stressful On that i think you probably know that it has been stressful but basically i bring this up because some things are slightly more important in the world than uh a new liam gallagher album i know it seems mad to think it but there is so renfrey's not here this week unfortunately um we haven't fallen out he will be back it's just you know he's dealing with some stuff it's a thing it's happening. But I'm delighted to say, in his place, we have a very, very able replacement, former Stereo Board writer, Mr. Sam Slight, who is a listener to the show, I believe, aren't you, Sam?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I believe I was the second ever patron. Bloody hell.
0: Bloody hell. Well, um, if you were if you were the first patron and you're going where's my fucking invite to the show that's absolutely ridiculous uh let's know maybe we'll get you on the show whoever if, if we know who the first ever patron was <laughs> i didn't know that mate um i mean thanks
1: it's all right need my money back obviously so yeah i mean now you're
0: part now you're part of the actual crew yeah I do yeah. feel like taking I think money I'm entitled eight, to cut i think you probably are to be fair i mean fuck me it's, it's it's not that much of a cut <laughs> to be honest like that even i get and i'm the main i'm the main guy on. i definitely definitely the main guy um mate thanks very much for coming on and stepping in at very very short notice we uh we have got a lot of stuff to get through this week and it's a big show so um not only are you doing us a, a massive fucking favor by coming on board and chatting about stuff you've also got a lot of pretty exciting things to be talking about right
1: absolutely yeah it's uh promising to be a good show and uh i think You know, speaking as a listener who's now on the show uh, for one week only, uh, really nicely diverse set of stuff to talk about, which I think encapsulates the Alternative Music podcast.
0: Thanks very much, mate. I think I haven't told Sam to say that, by the way. He (laughs) just said that totally. It was only cool. But yeah, uh, this week on the show, we're going to be talking about new music from Liam Gallagher, from Merkage Dave, from Malevolence. And even though last week I said we're not going to do this, we're gonna do the new Harry Styles as well. Fuck you if you don't like it. Uh, plus, we're gonna be talking about the big My Chemical Romance shows that happened last week too, which um, both Sam and I experienced. So uh, yeah, we we'll are talking about that in a little bit. But since we've already mentioned our Patreon page, unfortunately you won't ever be able to be the second ever patron if you do decide to sign up for our Patreon page. But, you know, being the 508th patron would be just as prestigious in many ways. Go over to uh, patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and you can sign up for our exclusive content, including a £5 a month tier. You get two classic albums. Like I say, it has been very intermittent at the moment over on on the the Patreon page, but I'm delighted to say that we did actually put out our special on the Prodigy's Music for the Jilt Generation this week, which I love that record. And it also, it comes from a period of time that, I am super interested in and have a lot of fond memories for. Um, Sam, I don't know if you've listened to that yet. I mean, there's no pressure. It was no homework at all, but I don't know if you have got a chance to listen to that.
1: I have indeed. And I was going to say, well, if there was a chance for me to jump in, I think uh, it was It was an excellent special. And I think the job that you and Renfrey did um, kind of contextualising the, the point of the prodigy in mm. rave culture, I thought it was absolutely fascinating and, you know, really robust uh, amount of research and yeah just a really good special
0: yeah I really really want I've been wanting to do that for fucking ages to be honest like I mean I know I guess it's one of those things where like I don't think anyone looks at me and thinks oh raver do you know what I mean I don't think anyone thinks I don't think anyone these days really looks at the prodigy and kind of they think they go oh they came from the rave scene and then firestarter came out and it just tends to be like something of a like a bit of a side note in their career which I think is is a real shame because I do think that is the high creative point musically for them as a as a as a group, like personally. And I do think that rave culture is something which maybe, I mean, I was exposed to the music of it a lot at the time, but I'm not really sure that I I, I had no knowledge of the sort of cultural implications of the things that it represented and what was going on in the country at the time and why that sprung up so it's only kind of years later when I look back at it I go fucking hell what an unbelievably creative cool community of people and it just got fucking steamrolled and crushed by like a shit government like a really really shit government and um yeah man so I've, I've been wanting to kind of go deep into that for for ages so I'm, I'm i'm glad that we got the chance to do it alongside a really really brilliant record so cheers mate
1: i'm glad you enjoyed it you're welcome
0: all right good um so yeah as i said you know five pound a month for the classic albums uh, we've done loads on guns and roses pink floyd the beatles weezer Sepultura, pixies depeche mode nick cave gallows opeth Sigaross, cave in blur Lamb of god glass jaw lauren hill joy division ben Folds five gajira smashing pumpkins type of negative meshuggah pj harvey block party pearl jam loads we've done loads we've done loads and loads and loads and loads um you're actually going to see me sugar tonight i believe aren't you sam i am
1: yes i'm going uh, going to rock city to see him with Zealand it's oh it's a hell of a lineup mate it's gonna be a good night
0: that is pretty exciting i mean that that hits the royal albert hall in london next week so i imagine you'll be hearing about what happened at that gig uh, next week but anyway yeah go over to patreon.com forward slash Riot Act Podcast and uh, you can sign up and I mentioned that uh, oh gigs this is this is, this is is how you do the old seamless transition into uh, different things Sam um, we both went to see My Chemical Romance last week um, I saw them on Saturday at the Milton Keynes Bowl you saw them on I saw them when was it you saw them saw them
1: on the Thursday um, at uh, Stadium MK uh, yeah, they, that's yeah it. They, sorry,
0: not the Milton Keynes Bowl Stadium MK, same shit. I wasn't <laughs> really, but uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Are you a big Mike M fan? To a point, I absolutely adore right. Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge and the Black Parade. Uh, I'm having it. I know, mm. I know, you're not a fan mm. of the latter, but uh, no, I think those two. Not albums, really, no. Um, but those two albums for me, massively important part of uh, my kind of musical history. Really, like I, I remember hearing obviously i'm not okay being the big one I remember hearing that and it <laughs> up to the point i basically only listened to iron maiden and it opened up a whole can of Jesus. worms for me. yeah i know honestly yeah. but it opened up a whole can of worms and so those records are holding such high esteem everything else i'm a bit uh, kind of ho-hum on um the, to be fair there there isn't much else well, really is it i don't know it's not like they've so got that. a
0: massive back catalog of stuff
1: oh yeah in terms of stuff that was of the same impact no there's nothing else there Um, but I mean I was surprised Um, so I was chatting to my boss at my day job about the upcoming gigs he went to the Sunday night and -hmm. he was telling me about the conventional weapons EP series I had no idea that even existed I thought they did Danger Days and that was kind of it and then they went on hiatus I I had no idea they had this kind of extra little gamut of uh, uh, weird sort of offshoot concept record yeah I do remember that
0: actually do you know now you said that like well this goes to show about I guess how kind of casual a fan I am of the band because I don't really remember that I kind of when you said the conventional weapons I was like oh yeah yeah there was that as well and then there was a couple of songs they put on that like, greatest hits and stuff and I was like oh because yeah, I was thinking well they've only got four albums really haven't they and one of them is like a demo basically so it's not like if you like <laughs> Black Parade and Three Cheers you kind of like everything I think really broadly
1: broadly speaking yeah i mean that debut uh, i brought you bullets that's genuinely rubbish um danger days i think it's all right i did revisit it in the lead up to the gigs because i thought well they're clearly gonna be playing stuff from it you know they're doing a kind of career retrospective yeah. um yeah it i think three cheers and black parade for me being the age that i am they were just right place right time and so they just you know they hold, hold a really special place in music history for me
0: yeah that's fair i mean i went down there with my mate sean um who listens hello sean and uh and i think he said something which was a really good point he was like i don't remember a band since nirvana having this strong uh, cultural impact on a on a group of young people and i think i mean you could look at uh, oasis a bit i think in this country i think you could probably look at slipknot as well um but yeah really like there's not there's not many bands who I think have had the fervour surrounding them that that Mike M had, kind of in those first few years, and it's still there. That's the mad thing about it is it. It's not actually gone away. It's still there. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say um, when I went to the Thursday night show, came out with uh, the new song Foundations of Decay, and I was on the um, uh, on the pitch in the standing area, and I counted sort of in a hundred yards around me about five separate people who were not just crying but just in floods of tears actually shaking with well hopefully joy but they were like yeah they still inspire such a strong reaction from people there is that devotion and it hasn't wavered um seemingly at all well it's weird because I, I as
0: they were coming on i was chatting with that so i had some mates who are in different seats I mean I've been chatting them up like right by where not chatting them (laughs) up but I was chatting with them up by the the sort of main entrance to the you know the stadium bit and I came down the stairs to go to my seat which I had been sat in for placebo as M M M M M M M M my my chemical romance were coming on and there was a mum and daughter both dressed in black parades gear who had just gone oh we're having these seats because they're good seats but Nick my seats the bastards but they were so like both of them were jumping up and down like fucking in nutters, going crazy, like an, ah! screaming like a you know, like a fucking like Elvis concert or something. And I was like, well I can't just say excuse me, you're sat in my seat. So I just stood I just sort of stood next to them for a couple of songs while they were going absolutely berserk mm. and I was like one of them's sixteen, the other's probably about my age and yet they're both dressed and they're like and I was like fucking out this band like they've really really crossed over to people in a serious way and that fervor has not gone at all um before we get into our kind of reviews of the various uh the various evenings um that they played the various nights they played I, I wanted to kind of Give some of you people who listen, you people who listen, <laughs> um, people. a shout. Like, you absolute people that come on. I did actually go on Twitter and I said, you know, what did you, if you went to the MCR show, what did you think? Uh, a few people have uh, got back to us. And so Matt's Cousins has said, had my worries they were going to be bad and ruin my childhood a bit, but thought they were quality. Obviously not as much youthful energy as back in the day, but clearly lots of love and care put into it. And was very moved by Jared talking about power trip. That's, that's true as well. Uh, Tom Stab says The gig was brilliant The location was a hellscape Through chains back to London Post gig Woefully unsuitable venue Definitely going to talk about that In a minute uh, Michael Bird said I loved how it didn't feel Like a stadium gig Minimal set design Set list of surprises As well as the big hits Gerard's uh, Gerard not working the crowd And just doing his own thing Including random screaming That vibe with anthemic songs Was a really really cool experience Um Hayley says I went on Thursday and loved it. Last on them at Leeds in 2011, so I was really happy that they did some deeper cuts for a more fan focused gig. Skylines and Turnstiles and Deathwish were highlights. Vampire Money was great. Closing song. Danger Day stuff worked so well live. And it felt so intimate, despite being a huge venue. Atmosphere from where I was standing was wicked. everyone singing together. Milton Keynes is the worst, and I'm from Barnsley, so that's <laughs> saying something. Great, great gig. Really happy I got tickets. This is an interesting one. Um,. Andy says, I've been going to gigs for nearly 20 years, seen some amazing, amazing acts, Faith the More, Pearl Jam, Will Smith, and a 100 plus more. This is my first Michael McGromance show and I was blown away. Even in the seated section, it was a party. I've never experienced anything like it. Number one gig for me. I could go into it further into it how important it was to me personally. My mental health was in the bin before. I wasn't in a good place. This gig genuinely made me feel so much better and gave me the strength to want to fight my crappy brain. It's a cliche, but it's true. And I think, that, I mean, that really does hammer home like how important this band are to people if how you know how much more this seemed to mean than just a another gig so i'm really really glad you all had the best time and seeing people have the best time was delightful and you know it's really good we're now going to review the show i don't know what sam's going to say about it but i'm just going to flag this up before i get into my bit Uh, of it if you are one of those people who went to my chemical romance and you loved it you might not like everything that i'm about to say i'm afraid sorry um but i'm really glad you had
1: a good time yeah um so i think (laughs) i think based (laughs) on a brief chat we had yesterday um sort of organizing this record i think i'm somewhere between your listeners responses and your response so uh I've seen my chems once before. I saw them on the Black Parade tour at Wembley back in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was amazing. Um, but at the time, I think it was the third or fourth gig I'd ever been to, so I didn't really have a point in comparison. Obviously, 14 years mm-hmm. later, I've been to quite a few more. I thought there was a six-song run on my night um, which went from na-na-na, off Danger Days, uh, through to Famous Last Words, and to be honest, it it was properly life-affirming, like, I had, did have the best time for those six songs, but then, that's an, on a 21-song set list, a lot of the rest of it, I did find myself kind of just thinking, oh, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I'm glad everyone's really enjoying themselves. Um, So, I think it was a real set of peaks and troughs for me, and when it peaked, it was utterly incredible and it took me back to being 14 in Wembley Arena seeing this album that's so important all these albums that's so important to me I think there were issues definitely uh, I don't know quite what it was like for you all night I thought the sound was quite poor for you know what is a stadium venue that should have a decent bit of kit it didn't sound the best
0: well yeah I mean that's my number one problem to be perfectly honest I mean I'm just going to say for, for, for like before My Chemical Romance I want to shout out Placebo because I mean I'm broadly speaking a more of a Placebo fan than I am a My Chemical Romance fan and I think were Placebo not to have been on that bill I'm not sure I would have made the trek up there I think Placebo being um, at least I I was really intrigued to see My Chemical Romance and there's a lot of songs from you know like I love the uh, Three Cheers and there are a few songs on The Black Parade I think are, are great as well even though I don't love it as a record but to go all the way up to him to Milton Keynes to see them I was like mm, I'm not really sure and then Placebo being added to the bill was like okay that's enough to tip me over into really wanting to go the kind of intrigue of my chem and actually being like you know Placebo have just released a fucking brilliant record a brilliant new record and I thought Placebo sounded great I was really really like wow this is one of the best sounding support slots on in a stadium that I've ever heard. Like, I remember going back to kind of Ghost Support Metallica mm. at Twickenham. And I remember thinking, oh, they sound pretty good. Because t- I, I don't really remember a support band in a stadium sounding good ever, really. Not sounding good. I've heard a few that have sounded mm. all right, but I've never heard any that sound good. I mean, you know, I've seen... Obviously, bands get swallowed in stadiums when they go on early. I remember Mastodon opening for Metallica in 2007 at Wembley Stadium. And they just you couldn't even tell what song they were playing. It was terrible. Um, it was a real shame. And, you know, you go and see bands at a stadium and there's a support band and the stadium's empty and, you know, it's the acoustics are hard. But Placebo sounded great. Right, And I've seen a few people go, ah, they didn't play 36 Degrees, they didn't play Pure Morning, they didn't play Nancy Boy, they didn't, and it's like, okay, well, you know, they don't really play those songs that much anymore. I've seen them play those songs a bunch of times. I'm happy with, you know, if they did, I think there's a 13-song set, six songs from the new record. New record's fucking great. You know, stuff like Little James, um also beautiful james uh from the new album sounded amazing and then you got shit like bionic and they ended with infrared which i thought was amazing special case sounded really good they looked good they sounded great and i was like wow what a kind of cool super deep you, you know like if you're a, if you're a casual fan of placebo you only know a few songs yeah you probably weren't going to be like oh my god amazing but I'm a casual fan of My Chemical Romance, and everyone was bigging them up for doing a load of like fan favorite B sides and you know and um, you know deep cuts and stuff, and that was great for them. But but placebo can't do it. Come on, either both of them have to do a great set, or let them do whatever they want. You don't listen to the new placebo records. You kind of checked out after without you, I'm nothing or black market music or whatever. That's cool, but. You know, that's your own problem. I thought Placebo were... Re- Did you see Placebo, by the way, Sam? <laughs>
1: I saw, I think, the first 30 seconds and, like, the last few chords uh, because the cue for the drinks uh, was pretty mental at that time. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I <laughs> well, was... Again, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll get to, <laughs> we'll get yeah. to that. But, yeah, um, I, I do compare yeah. that. I mean, obviously, I wasn't physically in the... I- inside the arena. But even from out there, I could tell there was a marked difference in the sound quality. I feel like Placebo's sound... Um, lent itself really well to you know all the the kind of electronic elements and stuff because you know yeah basically they're bread and butter um i'm speaking as someone who barely knows placebo to be honest um but they did sound incredible from outside and it's like yeah oh i'm really stoked for my chems now and then it kind of dropped off a bit
0: Mm. shout out my mate jamie for comparing placebo to stereophonics uh which was fucking one of the most absurd things i've ever heard but i personally thought placebo great and it made me go oh well my chemical romance because having not seen them before but seen live footage of them before my fear was that they weren't going to sound great because i'd seen i remember seeing like they did a black parade mtv thing back in the day and I remember watching that and being like, Jesus, they sound like shit. And I think I saw them on, there's a clip of them playing. uh, It's not Conan O'Brien, but it's something like, maybe it's Conan O'Brien actually. And they played like Conan O'Brien and again, it sounded really bad. And I was like, Oh, fucking hell. Maybe they're just not that good Mm. live sort of thing. And, uh, and they came on um,
1: the pretty low key entrance. Yeah. So um, I didn't have that. Actually, we got the kind of real theater, in terms of um, the way they came on stage uh, on the Thursday show, because I don't know if you've seen the pictures uh, going on around online. Him, him bandages yeah, bandaged in up in a white suit, suit Yeah, covered in blood and everything. And yeah. it was like, oh, okay. So this is going to be a bit, yeah, a bit kind of panto almost. Emo panto. Um, but then, yeah, it did sort of quickly feel, I don't know, a kind of quite charmingly ramshackle after that. It didn't keep the big the bombastic elements that you were kind of expecting from a band like My Chemical Romance. Like, uh, if you've seen the um, Black Parade is Dead tour, where they played the album in full, you know, that's a full kind of almost, you know, queen-wearing, you know, queen-wearing corpse paint kind of, you know, extravaganza of crazy stuff. Yeah. Didn't get that at all at this one. And yeah, it did. I've seen some people saying, oh, he's really punk. It's like, mm, I'm not sure, you know, playing in stadiums all that punk but uh, that's neither here nor there well yeah I mean
0: look, again my mate Sean was, who was with me was like I think it's really cool that they are just basically a scrappy punk band and here they are playing a stadium and that is cool that's a cool thing to look at and go mm. that's really cool and look My Chemical Romance I don't give it like I don't give it all the things that people used to say about them like eh, it's their kiddies music and they're not real they're pop blah 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 they're not they're from the fucking mm. hardcore scene they're they're proper punk kids you're an idiot to think that they're anything other than that like they're definitely that they're 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 from fucking Jeff Rickley produced their first record like do you know what I mean like you, nobody needs to turn around and like make um you know kind of trying to stick up for the My Chemical Romances punk credentials because I think they're clear unless you're a complete Mm. idiot um and I think playing being a scrappy punk band in the black heart in Camden in front of 200 people or even at the electric ballroom Mm. it's cool I think doing it in uh, a big theater doing it in a 5000 Brixton Academy or even a kind of Wembley arena you know I think that can often be quite exciting as well I think doing it when you're headlining a stadium it's a lovely um. idea but ultimately I mean the last time I went to that place Ramstein were Yeah, same here and the same amount of money that you paid to see My Chemical Romance you could also pay to see Ramstein now musically some people might be going or you know depending on your taste you might go well i'd much rather pay that to see my chemical romance but i do feel like in 2022 particularly when you are a band who are known for like you say all that kind of bombast and stuff to put on a such a minimal show i think it's kind of an admirable idea but i think the execution of it is only going to work if you are an exceptional exceptional Mm. live band and coming to my second kind of negative My Chemical Romance are not a good live band like I'm not saying that they you can't have a good time watching them live or they're not good live or whatever but they are (laughs) the sound was awful and they are loose as fuck there was a moment on the Saturday night during Give Him Hell Kid where the drummer stopped playing while the song was had another like half a chorus left and the rest of the band just sort of gave up and then he's and i was like oh my god like you don't even know your own songs like they are slop they were sloppy as fuck like and again like you know some people might go oh, i really like how kind of loose and you know and stop it. and they're doing that imagine doing that in a, in a in a stadium and it's like yeah that is cool but again, I mean, go on YouTube and watch footage of the Ramones playing stadiums in Argentina in the kind of early '80s. The Ramones are not good music. We're not good musicians. We're a sloppy punk. we you know a sloppy, fast, loose kind of punk band. But when they played stadiums, they made sure everything sounded good. And you listen to those things and the production and the they still carry off. Why don't they very far? They're still doing that. It still sound like the Ramones. But they're, they're, a mu- they're, a, they're a much tighter version of the romance. Do you know what? They actually sound like, good when they're playing. I don't think My Chemical Romance sounded good. I had a real... All the way through, I was like, Gerard's off ch- at a key. The sound's really windy and all over the place. Loads of the nuances of the music, particularly mm. from the Black Parade stuff, is getting lost. It was only when they played stuff like um, Famous Last Words, Mama, Welcome to the Black Parade. I think the the more stadium suitable stuff that I actually was like okay this 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 does work. This does work. Um but there were too many times the songs that I really liked. Like I mean when I the day I went, you got Foundations of Decay, which I you know, I thought that would make more sense live and I I wasn't particularly impressed with it on record. I wasn't particularly impressed with it live. And then they went into I'm Not Okay, which they had been mm. doing as an encore for most and they just kind of and you were like oh my god wow they're just fucking smashing out like this and i was like, oh, this will be amazing and to be fair like the atmosphere surrounding me when they went into that like was unbelievable and the chanting you heard back like i think they got through because it was such a euphoric atmosphere but they themselves they sounded bad they sounded bad they sounded like they it was their first rehearsal since <laughs> they were together in
1: 2011 or something they were really really slack so in terms of that looseness and the kind of um yeah the lack of stage production i think yeah going back to the point you're making about their punk credentials and everything i think it's really cool it's very aspirational i get it i get why they did it it makes sense because i think with their fan base you know they know how looked up to they are so it's kind of presenting look you can do it too kind of thing as you say It only works if you're exceptionally good live. I completely agree. Um, Gerard on the Thursday night, really straining to hit some notes, like really straining. And that was when he was actually hitting them. Um, And yeah, in terms of the the sloppy playing. So we got um, Foundations of Decay into Helena and like obviously it starts with, you know, the kind of um, tremolo pick guitar. And I was like, oh, brilliant. Mm. And then about halfway through, I was like, I'm not quite sure where we are in the song at this point because it's kind of just, I don't know, kind of falling apart in front of my eyes.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, because people love them so much, right? People love them so much. The atmosphere continued to be completely it was like, you know, every song was greeted like Iron Mm. Maiden going into the trooper at download. Do you know what I mean? Like or or, well, in in the eighties anyway, not now where people just slightly raised their glass out of their camping chair. But um Uh, but but, you know what i mean it was like every single song was greeted like the greatest song that had Mm. ever been created ever and it meant that the atmosphere was amazing and there were moments where i thought they were brilliant i mean gerard way's there's someone touched on gerard way not working the crowd right gerard way's kind of between song patter like i mean this in the nice in the in the nicest possible way Jared yeah. Wade's a weird dude, right? He's a weird, he's a weird dude. And the shit he was saying between songs were were pretty, yeah. was pretty weird, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? He he didn't, he obviously didn't have, you know, like, and, and, and great. Like, he didn't have a script. He shouldn't have a script. He was obviously talking. He didn't really know what he was going to say. And he didn't know what he was talking about. And he's obviously kind of a bit awkward. And I think that's, that that was sort of charming. And people have already spoken a bit about, you know, um, that Saturday night, he did do a tribute to Riley from Power Trip and he said how much he wanted Power Trip to have, would have been on, mm. which would have been fucking amazing to have My Chemical Romance and Power Trip playing yeah. a stadium together. I mean, that really would have been, like, <laughs> the fucking most <laughs> punk show ever to happen at a stadium ever. And obviously, you know, it didn't happen. But I thought that was really lovely. And I think there were so many moments like that where I, I can't fault the heart and the reason and the connection... And the, uh, the sort of, the genuine, the genuine, everything about My Chemical Romance at that show felt mm. really, really genuine. Like the, from the people on the audi- in the audience, how much they loved it, to the band up on stage just going, we're just going to fucking play our songs and that's all we're going to do. We're just going to try and connect with you people through these songs and that's it. And it, and that's really, really great. And there are moments where they played things, that I, you know, I, I thought, Welcome to the Black Parade was incredible the night, that i saw it um i never cared much for famous last words i thought it was brilliant uh i really liked you know you know what they do to guys like us in prison i think it's a great song and that you know the sort of sorted the sound out a little bit more i think the first sort of maybe three or four songs it was where i was like god the sound is awful really fucking awful and it did get a little bit better um thank you for the venom is my favorite so i fucking loved that as well um i never really cared much for a mama before but i thought that felt like a really amazing bombastic brilliant thing um and i thought they 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 were they they managed to be crap and captivating at the same time um i guess this really just comes down to the fact that i'm not as emotionally invested in my chemical romance as a lot as 99.99999% of the people mm. that were there were you know um, and I think they made I think the people there made the show special it did still feel feel special but I didn't walk out of it to see think, I felt like I'd walked out of a really special event but I didn't walk out feeling like I'd seen a special yeah brand. totally yeah that I, I absolutely
1: get what you mean and yeah I think you're right it totally lived and died on the audience reaction and I think um, again speaking about um their kind of impact and influence you know back in the day that has persisted all the way to now the fact that you go to the show and it is 99.999% of people are losing their minds and having the best time you know there aren't the people going to this big show for clout seemingly you know everyone there was an absolute devotee um which yeah was incredible I completely understand what you're saying though It, it was the best feeling night the euphoric sense in that stadium was unbeatable I don't think my chems were the best part of the night, though. It's a weird one. It's really weird. It was a really, really unusual show.
0: And I think we have to shout out Milton Keynes and um uh, Franchise FC, um, their stadium, the fucking awful football team, awful football club. Scott Twine, get out of that football club, Scott Twine. Scott Twine should have signed for Pompey. He's wasting his career at MK Dons at that shithole of a stadium, that horrible little nasty bowl uh in the middle of fucking nowhere. Getting out of there was... <laughs> just awful it was fucking lord of the rings shit i mean i remember it from ramstein before i actually left during the encore because i was like i kind of walked right to the edge while they, when they went on for the encore and just sort of I walked all the way around the bowl around the stadium and to get out and i was like right i'm going to go and just try to get to, and ran managed to get to the train station from a taxi who we got really lucky to get a taxi because this guy was like I can't find the person that I'm meant to be picking up and I was like well it's us definitely so I probably did nick someone's cab apologies for that and then get to the train station just as the doors were closing on the last train and mm. we left during the encore do you know what I mean so fuck knows how I mean I, I saw some real horror stories on the way back what was it like for you getting back from uh, Milton Keynes uh, well I hate
1: road? some. <laughs> I hate to sound smug. Uh, it was absolutely fine. We took a big green coach from Leicester and like literally got dropped off at the door and basically picked up and yeah, we didn't have a problem. So uh, yeah, sorry, I can't oh. empathise there. Uh, I, I had a horrible time leaving the O2 the week oh, right, before fine. though. So I totally get people's frustrations about these sort of big, somewhat remote shows. I know Stadium MK is much more remote than the O2 is. Yeah. Um, and it does, it, it's <laughs> quite insane. I think it shows a real lack of, lack of care. It's like, you know, from... The sort of the business behind the venue, shall we say? Because it's like you know that people are going to mm. really struggle to get out of here, and you know they're going to have a, a terrible time leaving. <laughs> they're going to have a terrible time queuing while they're in there as well. Um, but oh, you've made your money, say so whatever. Cues, cues are mental. I mean, I guess
0: the people at Stadium MK aren't used to more than about two thousand people turning up um, weekly to watch their fucking horrible football team, so um, they probably weren't used to suddenly. Forty-five thousand people who, you know, actually <laughs> want to be there, yeah. <laughs> like passionate about something, want to be there. Um, no, I'm sure the the few. Th- it's basically that I saw I saw one person who supports MK Don's uh, mouthing off about fucking emos attacking her beautiful milton keynes on twitter the other day and i've basically just taken all of my <laughs> frustration out on her there but so if you do the what mk dons i'm sure they're fine you know what i mean i'm sure you're, you've been a fan since the beginning which actually what was that like four years ago um but yeah i mean never have any more gigs at stadium mk please because it's no good for anyone is it doesn't matter where you live if you live in Milton Keynes, you live in Milton Keynes. If you live anywhere else, it's a fucking pain in the arse to get to. Literally anywhere else. And it's in the middle of nowhere.
1: Yeah. Dreadful. Unbelievable. Yeah, i quite happy to not go to another gig there. Really, really bad.
0: Right. Really quite bad. Uh, but I'm really glad I went. You know, I'm actually really, really glad I went. Uh, I'm glad I got to see them. And, you know, it was definitely a memorable, a memorable show. I wish I could say I loved it like the. That you know the, the people that are messaging us I wish I could say that I felt that but you know I guess I just you know it just never hit me in the same way as it hit other people I'm guessing well I'm not even guessing I know I could see but it was good I'm glad I went anyway um, do you want to get that would be a proper like seven I did say six at the time I'm thinking about, about that's a seven out of Completely agree.
1: Evening, Seven is me. exactly what I would have given my night as well
0: yeah okay all right good well there you go um but i'm glad you enjoyed it uh inevitable angry my chemical <laughs> romance fan um uh, let's move on and talk about some records that are coming out this week gotta start with i mean this is fucking scary for me not only gonna trigger the my chemical romance fans i fucking trigger the liam gallagher fans as well i've got like two completely very di- different sets of fans coming after me to tell me what i've idiot piece of shit i am but we're gonna do it come on you know by liam gallagher the third solo album from the former oasis frontman they follow up to 2019's why me why not uh which i have to say i've never listened to to be honest i listened to a little bit of debut liam solo album um the title was derided from a bit a quote-unquote bit that they Um, do on soccer am apparently Um, christ fucking soccer i am
1: that's you know it's very little to you, uh, you i would imagine so uh, oh i love it yeah yeah football, yeah. Um, uh, yeah yeah come come on football do you come on, football. do you? you're being sarcastic so no not at all i'm ambivalent football at best uh no my knowledge of soccer am basically comes from you two discussing uh it on i think it was a pigeon detective's broken records (laughs) all right
0: yeah it's awful but anyway you know it's a bit off of uh of soccer am apparently Mm. which is very liam gallagher like a month ago a month and a bit ago i went to see liam gallagher and it was fucking brilliant it was great it was so great and so I was like, oh, wicked. Yeah, I'm actually kind of suddenly more invested in Liam Gallagher. I went and this is all the Oasis back catalogue and stuff. And although a lot of it is rubbish, like, you know, when they were great, man, they were fucking great. So I kind of I, I kind of want this to be really good, this record. I want it to be good. sort of willing Liam Gallagher to put out a great solo record. Um, but... Then i guess i have that kind of connection with them i don't know about you sam i mean oasis i know kind of what you broadly what you Sam's <laughs> a man him with a neurosis tattoo um so i'm not sure that necessarily denotes that you would be bang into a liam gallagher
1: or Oasis uh, release you you're right yeah um when uh you and renfrey asked me to be on the show and you said you were doing liam gallagher i did think this will be interesting you know i don't have a strong connection to him at all i actually i'm really not an oasis fan i wouldn't say i dislike them but i'm definitely closer to that end of the uh of the spectrum um however um i did see i went to a festival called main square which is in arras in france back in i think it was 20 it was either 2017 or 2018 and liam gallagher was there performing before queens of the stone age if i remember rightly he was the sort of main support to queens right and even though i've got no affection and i get very little enjoyment from oasis material and definitely not from liam gallagher material to this point it was great he was a really solid performer mm-hmm. i'll give him that he knows how to work a crowd and he he knows what people want as well you know he doesn't deign to yeah he doesn't deign he to he kind does of know what we all yeah try new things to ugh, nothing kind of too out there i think
0: no he is definitely the i mean the thing is that picking the the kind of creative weird one of the gallagher brothers i mean it's not really it's like a bit of bread and a bit of bread with some yeah. flora on basically isn't it like they're doing something very bread and butter both of them i think you know Noel's last last Noel's um high flying birds album is oh, a bit more weird and stuff and you listen to it and you're like I mean, mm. it's in Ranzi Pazuzu, no? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's in a fucking Aphex twin remix record. Like, this is not that weird, really. But certainly, Liam, I think he seems to have gone much more down the straight, like straight ahead, no frills old school classic indie rock thing. We did again on Twitter ask people if they had any interest in this record. Elliot said, my only hope for the Liam Gallagher singles aren't totally awful so that when I have to put on XFM radio and they're playing it every 30 minutes I don't have to change to greatest hits. Well, we'll get into that in a second. Uh, Wonder Whaler has said, I love Liam, but I haven't really given his solo stuff a proper workout since the release of his strong debut. Gallagher seems to have the same style career of Elvis Presley, a great presence and performer who leans strongly on others to provide him with his material, which is probably fairly true as well. Um, Craig says, I imagine LG will have a couple of decent songs scattered with lots of plodders and terrible lyrics. Not a fan of the first few releases from the album, but I am going to Nebworth, and let's face it, they will just it will just be toilet breaks between Oasis tracks. Uh, maybe. Like it's an interesting one, this, right? Because, again, you know, I, I, I never really expected to get Come On You Know and go, this is amazing. This is album of the year. Fucking, he's going to nail it. Liam Gallagher's come back. This is fucking definitive, Liam. And it starts with a mm. kids' choir on the first song. And the first time I put it on, it chilled my blood. I thought, oh Jesus Christ! I'm gonna have to batter a Liam Gallagher album just a few weeks after being really nice about him, and I think that opening track is poor. You know, it's not a good way to start the record. It's called "More Power." I, I, I don't know why he picked that to open the the album. It's it's not a it's just not a good yeah, song. Completely you know I agree.
1: Mean? I mean, it kind of it affirmed. Oh, my immediate reaction was ah i was right to not like the gallagher brothers because this is dreadful this is that awful <laughs> kind of beatles worship that fetishizing your granddad's record collection that i really take against and i i thought this is a really ploddy really just yeah the the mind boggles why would you open with that just wet, I mean, you it? God, why is it on the record at all but you know yeah it's such a. I, it's yeah i mean it's such a wet opener
0: like it's it's a there's a there's you know spoiler alert there are a couple of songs on here that are a bit wet and I don't think like Noel can write the odd ballad here and there and I th- I think you know like I'm not a massive fan of Oasis ballads in general really or you know Gallagher ballads I think Noel if anyone's going to do them Noel is good at doing them I don't think it's Liam's strength at all and I think this is a really odd way to open the record and it really made me go oh no please don't be what i now fear it's going to be throughout and to be fair it immediately for me makes quite a sizable upturn when you get to diamond in the dark which i think sounds like solarized era ian brown which is in a record that i i really love and i think you know the best parts of this record are when liam gallagher goes for an ian brown style kind of goes goes for that kind of Ian Brown solo material style and you know it's got a little kind of garage rock riff and a little bit of dub bass and I was like this is much better I think this is definitely an upturn I mean it's not the bar wasn't set particularly high to be honest but it's a sizable upturn for me I actually thought Diamond. I the think Dark compared to a, its predecessor
1: it definitely is head and shoulders above Um yeah Um I think it's quite evident for me listening to this album that this is just not a genre for me. Um, and I don't necessarily mean just mm-hmm. musically. I mean, I, I kind of feel like culturally what the Gallagher brothers represent is just not a world that I inhabit. Mm. I think for me, the album takes quite a long time to really pick up. Yeah. Uh, if I was going to single out a song that I actually liked, there, there are I'd say there are three songs on this that I liked, like... I think there's only a couple that are properly bad And then the rest Mm -hmm. is kind of just It it exists Um, For me it doesn't pick up till Everything's Electric Which I believe is track 7 On a 13 track album
0: and that's a great song. I mean that is a really good song. It's a single. I mean he played that at the Royal Albert Hall and I remember being like, "Oh, it's pretty good. Like this is actually very very good." Um I really like everything's electric. I think it's got every I think it it screams and you're right, it screams standalone single. It screams mm. standalone kind of indie rock banger. Mm. Um it's nothing new about it at all, but it does sound like Liam Gallagher and it's got that sort of swagger to it. I I really like that song. I think it's one of the obvious highlights and clear single. Like, clearly, should have been a single.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the second you hear it, especially within the context of the album, if you'd not heard any of the pre-release material, you'd be like, "Well, that would have been the lead, wouldn't it?" Um, for me, I think the thing where the reason it picks up uh, and does grab my attention at that point is um, there is that swagger, as you say, but it's, he's got that snarl in his vocals, and it's like, mm. I mean, you're you're an angry bloke, aren't you? That's kind of what you've made your name on is being a bit leery, you know, Mm -hmm. being a lad. And so when he actually does that and gets away from, oh, like, too good for giving up, dreadful piano ballad, I don't like him doing maudlin uh, and sincere. It just, yeah. Real misfire, that. That reminds me, we did a
0: Paul Weller album a few years back, and slated it and I thought every song sounded a bit like too good for giving up on that Paul Weller album I was just like and that got really good reviews and I was like no this is the last thing I want Mm. from Paul Weller just to be like ploddy and yeah like you say boring maudlin piano-y yeah that's not a good song yeah that's a real Mm. misfire
1: but yeah to focus on the positives yeah everything's uh, electric really liked um I actually, uh, I would say my other two standouts are towards the very end of the record, uh, which is I'm Free in Better Days. I think they're a pretty good pairing. They've got some unusual choices in them, like in I'm Free, about uh, minute 40 in. kind of goes into a sort of like weird cod reggae thing, but with like folk instrumentation over the top as well, it's, um, it's quite baffling. Ian Brown, again. It sounds
0: like Ian Brown. All the best stuff on this record. Is the stuff that reminds me of Solarized Music from the Spheres, Unfinished Monkey Business era, Ian Brown. And and you're right, like I'm free has got spacey production of um, music for the spheres, it's got the kind of thump of solarized, and it's got that kind of yeah, that that like dubby unfinished monkey business um sort of bass to it as well big dub bass reggae like I think more dub than kind of mm. full-blown reggae but yeah yeah like I actually really I again that is one of that's another one of my favourite songs on the record um, I like the opening line paranoid git you're just peddling shit to the freaks I mean don't really mm. know what that means but it's classic kind of Liam Gallagher and he does he does it with a real sort of he properly spits those lyrics out as well so yeah like I like that and Better Days as well I mean Better Days reminds me of kind of um, dig your own hole era of chemical brothers that breakbeat that it has and i think the chorus is massive again it does sound a bit like ian brown as well but those two songs and everything's electric
1: are probably my favorite three songs on the record yeah i completely agree i will say with better days i did have oh just pangs of oh why have i signed up for this when the strings came in at the beginning it was like oh don't say it's the string ballad but then it does resolve itself yeah. and it turns into yeah just not a good big rock song that's going to play well at stadiums
0: yeah i think so i mean you know there's a few other things on here that i think are are pretty good i mean i have to say my first listen to the record and i know like you know sam you got it quite late so we should flag up like you've not had very long with this record although i don't think it's a record that needs (laughs) loads and loads of listens before you really get your head around it but my first listen to this record, I was massively unimpressed, to be honest. I was just like, "There's not really loads that's particularly exciting about this." But the more I've listened to it, the more I've found myself being like, "Actually, that is good. Oh, and that is good." And I, I was surprised on my sort of second, third listen how much of it I stuck with me, how much of it I remembered. And I thought, like, particularly the title track, which is a bit of one of the few slower ones that I actually like, which has got a lot of hand claps and. You know, the kind of gospel feel, him being a little bit more lax. And it's got some Stooges-style sax parts, almost a bit like Dose Your Dreams-style sax parts in the end. And I was like, I actually thought that was kind of just a bit of a plodder, but it's probably a bit better than that, really. I mean, some of it is okay, and some of it is not great. I reckon you're still probably... I'm slightly... I'm looking at the track listing now. I reckon one, two, three, four, five, si- six of 12. Like Half of the album, I think, is is decent. And half of it, I think, is, you know, half of the album, I think, is good. The other half, I think, is either quite unmemorable and occasionally not very good. I mean, in terms of things that are not very good, like More Power, I think, is actually not very good after everything electric you get world in worlds in need and moscow rules i think both of them are don't really capitalize on how good everything's electric was so it is like a kind of classic half and half mixed bag album really i think
1: yeah it's um incredibly inconsistent in terms of its quality um in a way as a non-gallagher fan um I, I find it kind of charming in a kind of like you're mad. Like, why have you done this? Like, why have you let this happen? There's kind of so many obvious mistakes on this record, not in terms of performance and everything. I actually think um, a lot of the instrumentation, particularly the percussion on Better Days, is really really impressive. But there mm. are some baffling choices here. Like Worlds in Need, I I think is appalling. <laughs> Quite frankly, yeah. Uh, Moscow rules. Yeah. Um. It, <laughs> so theatrical and so twee as well it's like these aren't things I would associate with Liam Gallagher so fair play to him for doing something a bit different but mm. I, yeah don't want him turning up on Broadway or whatever
0: well that's the thing I mean he's got a little bit of a, you know he's got a bit of previous when he got round to writing to, you know like he wrote Little James for Stand on the Shoulder of Giants which is probably the worst Oasis song and there's quite a bit wow, of competition worst that, to Oasis be fair yeah, I think it probably is the worst <laughs> Oasis song, and it's you know, like the again, there's um, it, it, it's not a uh, there's a lot of competition for that. As I should, I'll I say, um, so you know, it's funny because he does seem to like. He, he, I think he kind of likes a, a ballad here and there, but I think he's much better at being a rock star. Like that, he doesn't doesn't. You look at his set list; and he doesn't really play like. He they tend to end with Wonderwall, and he'll do a song like stand by me or little by little or something but he doesn't really or slide away but he doesn't really go live he doesn't really go into that really kind of you know the, the really kind of ballady stuff that often which is why i think it's weird that there is definitely too many ballads on here Well, all not ballad would you call them ballads slower ones more kind of mawkish more kind of like sentimental mm. ones and that's an odd choice, like you say, for somebody like Liam Gallagher. I think he could have done a record of a couple of looser but slightly more upbeat spacey Ian Brown ones. And a couple more rock, like, you know, like everything's electric. There's not really anything else like it on the record. I was quite surprised that there's not at least three of the tw- the 12 track listing. Mm. 12 track that we have here you would think he'd go three or four have got to be like proper upbeat big guitar rages and what are they like maybe like two 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 on there yeah It's not many is it? I mean
1: uh, yeah everything's electric definitely stands on its own Um, stylistically there isn't anything yeah there isn't anything that really compares to it It, there's nothing else that has that absolute drive and those washes of like arena ready guitar that Mm. are pretty captivating to be honest you know it's very simple it's basic but it feels good yeah, I mean, look, he,
0: the, the, I'm I'm actually because <laughs> Liam Gallagher is not the dude who wrote all of those great songs from the early years of Oasis when they did, like, undoubtedly, I don't care what anyone says, they like they wrote some fucking unbelievable songs, and those songs just feel really, really good. He didn't write those songs, and I think considering he's not the guy who wrote those songs, I can't really point the finger at him and go, "You've lost the plot." look at noel gallagher and say you've lost the plot because i you know i did listen to that last high flying birds album and i mean there's shit on there that, that one that sounds like fucking ricky martin is unbelievable um sam's eyes are just gone, <laughs> like what yeah ricky there's one martin, that sounds like fucking yeah. there's one that sounds like she bangs by ricky martin on the last noel gallagher album and it's like mate what are you doing and that's probably one of the, yeah. <laughs> one of the best songs on the record as well um so, look, I think at, at this point, you know, Liam Gallagher's playing Nebworth and he will turn up and he'll play probably two, three songs from this record. And he'll play a load of Oasis songs and it will be fucking brilliant. And I think people who like this sort of thing will say, oh, it's really, really good because it's not dreadful. Like, this is not BDI. I don't if you ever listened to any of the BDI. That first BDI album is... Rubbish. There is not a single solitary good thing on that first BDI album. It's
1: terrible. I, I'm, yeah. This is way better. I than may this. have heard some in passing, but I'll definitely give it a swerve. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. Um, again, as an outsider, I think, you know, if you are a Liam Gallagher fan, if you're an Oasis fan, I can't see you being upset with this album at all. I think most people are going to really like it. And I had, because um, as Steve mentioned, I got it quite late. Um, I was having a look at some other reviews, just the sort of headlines and stuff like that, rather than all the copy. It's been getting good reviews from all the places it ought to. So you know, I think it's it's made for its audience. He's not going to win any new fans with it. He certainly hasn't won me over, but I don't think he is. After a bloke with through silver and blood on the inside of his forearm,
0: you're not going to buy a Parker and uh, walk around going mad for it. And yeah, I'm mad for it.
1: Yeah, look, I I don't mind
0: this. I, there's a few songs that I would be like, if I go to, if I go to Nebworth and he plays four of these songs and he plays the right ones. If he played Diamond in the Dark. Everything's electric, I'm free, better days. Whack that in with a really good set of eraser stuff and I'm sure he's got stuff on the other last couple of albums that he might whack in as well. But if he did that, I'd be perfectly happy. Be perfectly happy. And I think this, you know, like my advice, Liam, not that he's going to listen to this and not that he needs it, but my advice is bin off the fucking slow ones. Just do an album of rages, do an album of fucking rages, because I think that would act, mm. I think he actually could do that and it would be wicked. And he can even on oh, a half and half, half rages, half kind of yeah. dubby, very Ian Brown esque, spicy rock stuff. I'd be more than
1: happy with that. I think that would be a lot more satisfying. Uh, I mean, I've got to give credit to him for trying. You know, he is trying to do something dynamic, but no. you don't go to Liam Gallagher for dynamism, do you? You go for
0: rages. Yeah, you just want a fucking cracker can of Stella.
1: Mm.
0: kick your missus down the stairs no that's not what i don't think that's what you should do um crack a can of stella though crack a can of stella and like walk around funny definitely yeah mate i um yeah i'm all right with this this is fine it's fine do you know what i mean it's not like gonna when when the obituaries are written for liam gallagher this will not be what people are talking about but that's all right because he's basically done it he's done it all now hasn't he so there you go uh, come on you know by liam gallagher is out now um give it a little listen if 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 you like uh uh the next album that we're going to be talking about comes from murkage dave so the album's called this city needs a hero It's the second album from the London-based singer-songwriter. The follow-up to his 2018 debut album, "Murkage Dave Changed My Life. We've never spoken about this artist before. Um, And, I mean, I heard the first single from this record. And it was one of those... You ever listen to a song and it just sort of stops you in your tracks and you go, fucking hell. This is fucking unbelievable. This is brilliant. And it was really like jesus i need to hear more of this person's music um the first song from or the first single from this record was called please let me to london it's a trap which is track four on here and i absolutely fucking love that song i was completely totally in love with it such an unusual mix of really cool stuff um he is not as he is in pains to point out throughout this record a grime artist um, but that urban music edge um, and modern pop sheen that I think he he kind of amalgamates alongside a slightly more modern indie rock kind of vibe, I think is a really potent, interesting uh, thing that he's created. And it can be really dark at times, really dark. I think this album is very dark and often quite a miserable sounded record but you know on melancholic miserable's maybe not the right word melancholic and sort of seethingly angry under the surface but i do kind of love that so um i was really dead keen to listen to the rest of the record and see if it lived up to that song and broadly speaking i think it does just about live up to my lofty expectations for the most part uh, again, Sam, I feel like this is maybe something that you might not have been, a, have been aware of, this artist, before we brought it in here. Uh,
1: but Absolutely not. No, I'd not heard of him. Um, and I must say, uh, after listening to this, I feel like a bit of a fool. Um, yeah, uh, I suppose to spunk it early, I did really, really enjoy this. Mm. Uh, I thought this was a really interesting album. I think when you're talking about that melancholy and the darkness that's in it, I think for me uh, it's that kind of sense of def- uh, defeatism it's a really downtrodden feeling album and when you mm. listen to the you know the lyrical passages that he's um, you know that he's penned i think he paints a really vivid picture of a world that is <laughs> basically constantly out to get you whether that's through you know kind of established strictures and prejudices from government uh, from policing institutions or whether it's through friendships that turn sour or, you know, romantic relationships that do the same thing, or even your family relationships. Um, yeah, I think this is a really interesting album. I'm surprised that... Please don't move to London, it's trap. I'm surprised that you gravitated to that song so much. I liked it. I felt it was one of the weaker moments. Really?
0: Okay. Yeah. I think maybe this is the first song I heard. I think it's... Uh, I mean, it was like I said, it was the first time I heard, and I was like, wow. And I, you know, I watched the video as well, and the video is really good. And I think he he's got. I mean, this has got nothing to do with the music, but in terms of like, he's got a really expressive face, and in the video, like all those things you just said about being really downtrodden. I think as well because I, I moved out of London a couple of years ago, and it is about going. Once you are in that city and you owe that rent, you have to do anything to pay that rent and you are trapped in these jobs that you don't like you are trapped with these people that you might not care about you are trapped in this little place and it's all just to keep yourself in in this city and why are you in this city so that you can work and you're close to your job and why do you need that job because you're paying so much money to live in this really exp- and i was like fuck yeah like i i kind of that <laughs> i was like yeah I, re- I remember that feeling and as much as i love london, like i you know i fucking love london i love living there and i kind of feel like i would like to you know move back up there at some point but i did go Poor, yeah like that hit home quite a lot and he like you say he's really expressive everything and it like his face in the video and his, you know his expressions and the way he kind of lives out those lyrics in the video is is really great and very very powerful but i do actually think that the song itself is really powerful for those reasons and also because there's a bit where he says um, uh, there's a, a line about black people handing out flyers with a white Jesus and then he does go mm. he does a like and then he says I kiss my teeth and he actually he actually does kiss his teeth as well and you can almost kind of you can feel the kind of wind blowing and you can smell the smell of the city like he he's got that kind of innate ability I think to, to not just paint a, a picture but to he brings you into his brain so fucking brilliantly, so often on this record and that was one of the times where I was like, yeah, like he's he's great, but like you say, I mean is it one of the I think a lot of this record lives up to that song, which was the first song that I heard, which I think is great. Is it the best song on the album? Um, probably not really no, but I you know I, I think it's a great song, but I think there's a lot on this record. Which is fucking excellent. I mean, you can start, mate. Is, is there any? If you if you don't if you think it's one of the, the weakest weaker songs, what would you say are the big highlights
1: for you on the record? Um, to be honest, for me, I think I think my highlight is the final uh, the final two tracks, so East London Smile and mm. the City Needs a Hero, the title track. I think they are properly incredible. I think for me, um, one of the issues I found with it was, um, I think. Mercury Stave inhabits that melancholic, downtrodden feeling so well, and those breathy, quite breezy, soulful vocals all the way through. I think they're a really smart choice because they do uh, they they have that air of resignation about them that I feel that a lot of the album relates to when it's not angry. Yeah. However, for me, I think I don't know. Um, there there are times where I think I would like you to just kind of I don't know, yeah, grit your teeth a bit more um which to be fair so the so fucking punk
0: be... rocker coming out and you mate that's oh, who you want your...
1: yeah yeah want just your... just do locust star just shouting <laughs> yeah. yeah um to be fair actually though uh on please don't move to london it's a trap that was the first point in the album where because um, it's it's more sort of spoken than it is sung i mean it's not a spoken yeah. word song i think that gives more of an insight into his genuine emotions i think the the character he plays it's a very candid one i think he plays it brilliantly don't know that it quite carries the length of the record for me um but yeah for for all those reasons east london smile i think that's his lyrical zenith on this album um i think it's listening to it it's it's like listening to someone grimacing through pain um it's it's properly about a world where you know people will say oh it's okay not to be okay but actually they don't give a shit you know it's just those kind of empty platitudes i think He inhabits that, oh sorry, uh, he um, portrays that so brilliantly. Um, There are moments I'm really not keen on. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are some lyrics, uh, So, on I Don't Do Love Songs. There's a bit right at the start of the song where it says, uh, talking about um, seeing a woman uh, at a club and says, my eyes went all heart emoji. And it was like, oh, that, for me i don't know that just feels a little <laughs> ham i know language yeah. changes and i know these cultural references probably have passed me by because i'm a cantankerous git even though i'm only 28 i don't know that it just felt a little it felt a bit anachronistic in the rest of this quite poetic album that's very stark and quite vulnerable to then have that line in there it really took me out of things
0: i can see that i can see that i mean i think that's um I think that's a fair criticism. I mean, you know, you've you've mentioned a song that I think, um, you know, that there's a few uh, there's a few bits. I think there are some really there are some really good songs about kind of you know personal relationships and you know relationships not working out. I mean, I think I had a nice time, but I won't be back. Featuring Mysterious Beanie is really good because it basically is going. He plays it like, oh, I've seen this girl and I'm excited, and she's like, nah. Yeah. And I think like that really captures the, the, the like, oh, I met a girl and she's great. And the girl going, you're not for me, I'm afraid. And like, mm-hmm. you you, fuck, you fucking feel it. You do, you feel it um, uh, th- throughout that song. And I think that's probably the, the, the best version of that type of song. And he does go into a few of those songs kind of back to back. Whereas I think there are lots of, for me, more interesting other things that he's talking about on different parts of the records every statue must come down I think is is brilliant and lyrically incredibly powerful as well I think the idea of going you don't get to live forever yeah your statues coming down I think is you know like because it it's got a lot of nuance in this I mean he mentions you know like when he says about statues coming down you go is it michael jackson or is it winston churchill and you're like oh fuck like he and he just kind of tosses that out and then moves on and it does make you go oh yeah uh, yeah i guess if we're and and, but then at the same time he's like yeah get and it's basically go you know saying get rid of everyone no one deserves to just be you know this kind of deity forever you we're all gonna we're all gonna die and it's a really kind of like dour like oh fucking hell like it's 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 a it's quite a a nihilistic viewpoint in a lot of ways, but he he does it so straight and he does it with such beauty. I mean, I think it's worth saying, you know, he's got a very idiosyncratic voice. He's got a very distinguishable, recognisable voice. He's got a very, uh, the sort of voice that you have to pay attention to. Um, I think he's a brilliant presence on the record. I think Mm -hmm. the record musically can be really, really good at points. I think it's um, it's not always the most... um, interesting record all the way through but i think when it gets it right it's really great i mean awful things i think sounds really good for a kind of modern pop song there's a few what's the one that has got like a really cool little guitar riff on it oh yeah it's uh the, the title track has this sort of really cool like, like lo-fi jazz and moog thing on it mm-hmm. as well And and bad advice has got a bit of a kind of post stroke math rock guitar riff to it um which is which is really cool uh like you know and there's kind of gospel feels um on the there's a gospel feel on the the song um world i want to live in that kind of please don't read the comments and again lyrically really really interesting of and i think you know you it's someone going reading comments online and going it's that person sat on the bus next to me like, who the fuck are these people that are saying this, like, horrible shit on the internet? Like, are they, they're they really here. Like, they walk amongst us. And I think that's, you know, a really interesting um, thing to write a song about. I I do really, really like this record. Um, it, I think it does sort of dip slightly in the middle. But overall, I think it's dead good.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that, yeah, there's a kind of, yeah, there's three songs where I feel the pace drops out a little. Um the mentioned I Don't Do Love Songs, uh, Stay Ready, I had to, it, it felt a bit of a rehash of the stuff that had already been going on musically speaking. Um, yeah. And then there's um, Read the Room, The Interlude. I mean, it's 52 seconds, but I think it's still 52 seconds that didn't need to be there particularly. Um, I do... Yeah, it's th- oh, 14
0: sorry. track album. I was going to say, it's a 14 track album. So, you know, like it, it, it definitely, to make it a perfect record, I think you could have shaved a little bit off here and there, definitely. Mm. Cause 14 tracks is, is quite a lot, but yeah.
1: Go yeah on, sorry I just interrupted you. No no not at all. Um I I think you're absolutely right. I mean he's such a presence. I mean it makes sense, you know. It is his album, but well I was thinking about it in relation to Liam Gallagher and for me <laughs> Liam Gallagher is almost the worst bit of his album whereas murkage Dave is the absolute focal point, you know. I mean I don't know I'm i not had a press release so I don't know if he's done all the instrumentation himself or if it's um a band behind him um but regardless he is his vocal performance um even though you know i would like a little bit more variety in the kind of delivery i think is really quite powerful and his lyrics for the most part absolutely stunning
0: mm. yeah i mean i i agree like i think this is a really really like i you know i i think musically like there is a it's it's minimalist um uh, when it needs to be, and it's got um, it's got enough kind of pop and bounce in the the more upbeat bits when it needs to be. So I think it's a good record, like a real like instrumentally speaking. I think it's a really good record. I think it's quite a varied record, and it's quite a nice mix of all those different types of genres. It's got that kind of sort of new soul meets modern pop meets kind of I guess like classic um, indie esque stuff as well so I think all that's cool but it would be a hell of a lot less remarkable without Murky's Dave over the top and in terms of a dude creating a perspective and you know and painting a picture through a record I think it's I think it's really really good I like this a lot I'm trying to sort of think off the top of my head where I would place it in amongst the things that we kind of broadly speaking have I mean I guess the one that hmm koji radical this year is probably maybe one of the closer things that we've done that is a bit like it i guess i mean that that doesn't really feel like it's the same type of music at all really I, but i do think again that's quite a kind of personal record and you know there are quite a lot of jazzy elements on it as well um i do love that record i think this is you know this is very good i think it feels like you know it's his second record and I think he's probably gonna get better I'd imagine um because he's not as high profile I don't think as as Koji radical but like yeah i i, I really like his record yeah. I really do like it a lot
1: yeah I, I I agree I don't think I like it quite as much as you, but then I'm less au fait with um the the genres that are kind of being molded together here um but yeah if this mm. is you know this is his second album I think yeah it's a really impressive statement i'm definitely going to keep a keen eye on where he goes next I think he's got the potential to be a really exciting force
0: Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. It's very good. Go and listen to it. The City Needs a Hero by Murkish Dave is out now. Well, let's talk about something which is slightly more familiar territory for, I guess, for both of us, really. Um, And that is Malicious Intent by Malevolence. The third studio album from the Sheffield brutal hardcore boys. The follow-up to 2017's self-supremacy album. Uh, Malevolence, I've just announced they're replacing Hatebreed bloody hell as sophie stage headliners at bloodstock Vessel this year right so they've done all right for themselves recently and they malevolence it feels like they've been on a bit of a, a kind of a hot streak they were massively hugely tipped at the end of 2013 when their uh, first album came out and then everyone went a bit mad for it and then they sort of went away and they came back and self-supremacy came out and i think a lot of people went oh yeah malevolence great and some people didn't quite like it as much. I personally really liked it. I thought it brought in loads of bits of sort of sludge metal and crowbar and all that sort of stuff uh, to it, which I really liked. Um, and sort of southerny-like metal as well. And uh, and then they sort of went away again. I was like, oh, well, you know, they've gone again. But they're back. Uh, malevolent, Sam. What's your relationship with
1: this band you a fan at all uh i i yeah i like malevolence I, I i did enjoy their first two albums quite a lot um serpents chokehold is you know one of the the great kind of pantera-esque riffs in a post-pantera world i think that's an absolutely amazing song my relationship with them doesn't run super deep i've seen them live a couple of times one time i was at mamaroos in birmingham when during the support band someone got thrown through the merch it's quite <laughs> wow yeah. yeah that was that was a weird one yeah i think malevolence are a really interesting and exciting proposition as you say they have been introducing these sludge elements on the previous or they introduced them on the previous album i think it sets them apart from the kind of metalcore also runs that are remarkably popular still so i think they yeah they've got a decent amount to them and i was definitely looking forward to this one
0: yeah, I I I was as well. I mean, I sort of I'd say I was as well. We would have, re- you know, we would have reviewed it last week if I was super duper excited about it. So I think I was like, "Are we just going to get more malevolence?" Was what I kind of thought. Is it just going to be another album of more malevolence? And I've seen a few people say that they're less impressed with this due to the overly emo clean bits that have put them off. Um, I yeah. don't feel that. I don't. Well, yeah. I... Mm. I don't feel that personally but um, you know I did ask some other people since the album came out last week um, Sam Lomax said the malev record is fine but uninspiring is my take just find it hard, hard to be bothered by new metal if it's not that challenging I mean fucking hell mate that could have been plucked from my brain um, Brian says gave the malevolence a spin there's been a lot of buzz about it online it makes you want to go and listen to classic Pantera Machina to be honest it's fine but likes a code orange raised razor bar for what contemporary metal could be again uh i could think that as well grant jameson says i'm not digging it at all stepped on the cheese pedal a bit too hard for me going up to the bigger ch- stages has got it watered down using big riffs doesn't make up for it uh tom boy tom b says it's a good solid album until the clean vocals come in Kelsey grammar says riffs uh Craig says I agree with most of what's been said on the Malevolence album. It's decent, but there are other bands doing it better. They're still the business live though, bloody hell. Uh, Jim says Malevolence album is pretty good, but I'm only one that struggles to get too excited about new metal stroke hardcore these days, unless it's in the live context and the band are really good. Um, Ellis Healy has said, even though I know it's not got much that's particularly original about it, I think the standard of it is pretty much staggeringly good. One of my favourite straight-up metal releases of the year. Callum uh, McThrillin has said a lot of very good riffs out of 10. Tons of fun. Um, <laughs> Oliver Pope Moskowitz has put insert stink face here. And uh, Nino has said the world feels like it's needed its next hate breed. So, you know, I guess a kind of a mixed reaction from our listeners. Certainly, the um, I find it hard to get excited about new metal bands just doing stuff what metal bands have done over the years i mean i definitely find that but i have to say sam maybe it's because i don't listen to every single metal album that comes out anymore Hmm. i reacted very strongly and positively to this record
1: ah i
0: did i'm I'm quite surprised by that actually i did i did i just listened to it and there was like I think because I haven't bothered with pretty much anything else that is like this Mm. for a few months, right? Haven't bothered with anything that is even remotely approaching this type of thing for ages. Can't be asked. Like, why would I, do you know what I mean? Why would I listen to a watered down version of, like you say, there are a lot of hardcore bands who are just doing another version of that thing. And this came out and I saw a lot of people banging on about it and um I was like fuck it I'm gonna give it I'm gonna whack it on and I whacked it on and the first track is less than two minutes it's just a massive fuck off crushing riff and I was like cool well I do like this type of thing so it's not surprising me in any way whatsoever um but it sounds pretty good I did think, you know, is it is that gonna be enough to sort of keep my attention? And then on Broken Glass, it goes into this sort of double time thing. And I was like, yeah, good, good. And then it has this really cool kind of that crowbar style melodic part with that, that sort of southern thing with a Zach Wilde solo off the back of it. And I was like, I'm enjoying this. I'm having a nice time listening to this. It's making, my leg was going like the fucking clappers and i was like good good and this shit like the groove on karma is in my brain it's taken me taking a lot to get a metal riff or a metal part that will fucking stick in my brain like you know some of the stuff that's really stuck in my brain this year or this sort of last 6 months or whatever and that big gang vocal on karma and then again double time and that massive breakdown with the big southern riff behind it i was like Fucking fair play to them. They're chucking all the shit on it. I've heard it before. Definitely heard bands doing it. I've heard Malevolence do it before, really. But I have I was like, there's a few songs in it. Like Do or Die has got a huge chorus. Really great. I think I, I, I like this. And I think it's because I've not listened to loads of stuff like it that I've reacted so much more positively to it.
1: Mm. Seems to be a running theme this week of, I, I definitely don't like these records as much as you. <laughs> um, I I think this is decent. There there are a lot of bits in it I really like. Um, you're talking about on broken glass. For me, I think it kicks off like a Pantera song before it's mm-hmm. Jamie Jaster fronting Lamb of God on Wrath,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I really like. You know, on paper that's great. The yep. problem for me then comes in um, with the clean vocals, which to me. They sound like ivan moody and that's definitely not a compliment coming from me
0: no 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 i was gonna say i don't imagine that to be a compliment for you but i understand it but again like you know they've just done a uh, just done an arena tour with architects i think the acknowledgement that i mean this is the thing about metal isn't it when you're going to get bands who are getting who are going to get a bit bigger like i think it's a really hard like i i got a lot of you know for sort of for, for metal bands of a certain stature i have quite a lot of sympathy for them right because you've got to sort of make your music sound if you want to go and play those places you kind of need to have those hooks and unfortunately i think because so many bands who you would who kind of hang their hat on those big melodic, those kind of five finger death punchy, disturbedy, you know, more kind of radio rock stuff. Because so many bands have hung their hat on that, and that has got massive over the years. Once you introduce, like, you kind of need to do something. Like, like it's hard to go, well, what do you do to get bigger? You either do a Bring Me the Horizon and you go full kind of pop mainstream, or you do a Ghost and you go all the way back to the source of the the nineteen seventies if you want to do a kind of brutal heavy band and it appeal to a lot of people on bigger stages you you're kind of bottlenecked into this let's all queue up and try and do this vaguely kind of radio rock-esque thing and and even bands who i love like employed to serve did it a bit on the last record like I, i think you know it's not a bad thing like they do it well and again i've got no problem with malevolence doing that but I think because other bands have done it, to, you know, ad infinitum, and the bands that have got big have, you know, broadly speaking, not been the best. You know, they're not artistically, creatively, particularly musically interesting. You can't say, look, I got no beef at all with Five Finger Death Punch, but they're not a challenging band in any way whatsoever. The last few in Flames Records, they're not challenging anyone. You know that those kind of when Machine Ed do the kind of uh, is there anybody out there Mm. you know you get why they do it but I don't actually want to listen to it so I think it's really hard to to get that seesaw right it's really that balancing act it's really really fucking difficult because that style has been so kind of co-opted and watered down and now it just sort of makes everything sound
1: a bit like Five Finger Death Punch Mm. yeah there is that ubiquitous us radio rock style um and to be fair to be fair to malevolence i think you know they're not doing that on this album they are still mm. they're still a hardcore band definitely they still go fucking oh, hard. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it's just those bits and i can imagine there is a whole subsect of probably not even their fans just metal fans in general because you know no one hates metal more than metal fans they'll probably absolutely no no god no one does they'll be out there and they'll be going oh they're sold out oh Oh, now I'm gonna have to watch them from my deck chair at download it's gonna be rubbish Um, it's not the method I would like to see bands grow big with but you know malevolence want to be big and you know they've got to play the game to an extent and it could be I don't know they kind of settle into you know doing some more melodic stuff for a while and then who knows you know do a massive about turn you know come back to their absolute hardcore maybe they're the way or one of the ways that that gets to the top um
0: i think do you not think that's even a little bit harsh on what they're doing right now because ultimately were we to live in a world where five Finger death punch and those bands didn't exist Mm. your reference points for like for me crowbar and down and black label society and you know bits of pantera you know the more melodic bits Mm. of pantera no no one ever had a problem with that. No one's got a problem with Kurt Weinstein doing that, like, or co- you know, Corrosion of Conformity. I just feel like they're doing that. But I guess because so many bands have taken on that kind of earnest, yarling style in modern metal, that it does remind you of that. But I don't necessarily think that Malevolence are even trying to go for that stylistically anyway no do you know what i mean i think they're just unfortunate that that has become so ubiquitous that other people are putting that upon them mm. not that i'm saying you're doing that but i think that, that one could mm. now you've said Ivan moody i'm like oh yeah Ivan moody i hadn't written that down at all but i can see it i can I, I i appreciate that you might think that um or you might see that and and you that might be a, a that's a perfectly fine reference point but i don't know i just feel like that you know they're kind of it's a hard corner to get out of isn't it really basically I think
1: oh totally and yeah, yeah as I say um, I certainly don't begrudge Malevolence wanting to get bigger because you know that's what basically every band wants to do apart from anything that Mike patterns in you know where they sort of deliberately self-sabotage um, yeah. yeah there are bits of this album that I think are absolutely amazing and it's when they're going balls to the walls heavy and much like you I've been going through a bit of a kind of like oh not sure that I'm that bothered about kind of metal inverted commas you know just metal Mm. i haven't been for quite a long time with the exception of a band like urn you know if you're talking about a a pure metal band they are the standout in the last few years for me i think yeah yeah, they're amazing mate um i think yeah there's there's enough on here that i do really like um still waters run deep i hate god and crowbar and just that down and dirty wildhead riffing it's great it's cracking i don't think the clean vocals quite gel into their sound as well as i think malevolence are capable of because they did that um the other side ep back in 2020 was it or was it last year
0: uh yeah it was one of the one of them yeah (laughs) i can't remember it was was a year yeah um yeah it was it was it was definitely they definitely did do that and it definitely came out during a year i mean there's (laughs) i'm happy to go on record with so i'm just gonna double check in fact um it was 2020. 2020
1: okay um yeah yeah i thought that was a a great ep to be honest and it's weird because it's not there are a lot of things on here that definitely relate back to that and hark back to it i feel like that ep went a bit further like the title track of the ep i think was a really mm-hmm. interesting exploration of the more melodic side and i think here i don't know it feels like they're in a halfway house. Um, between being a hardcore band and a metal band, and in amongst that, they're a very good metal core cool band as well. But yeah, I don't know. Um, this it's not really doing it for me. I think it's probably my least favorite thing they've released so far. Which is not to say that it's bad, but you know, if I was right. to rank them, I'd probably put it at bottom at the moment.
0: Would you really? Okay, I mean, I don't. I haven't even thought about whether or not I where I'd rank them. I think they all kind of sit fairly evenly to me, to be honest. Um, I mean, Matt Heafy turns up on Salvation, and it sounds a bit like Machine Head, and it's got a lot of different shit going on. I think Heafy sounds good doing the cleans and kind of doubling up the harsh vocals. And yeah, I mean, you know, for me, this is how long is this record? It's like it's quite short. It's Thirty-seven minutes and fifty-five seconds, mm. according to Spotify. Uh, it's ten tracks, and. There's a lot of good riffs. Hell of a lot of good oh, riffs. Yeah. There's a lot of super catchy, sort of pummely, beat down parts. And then occasionally it will go into a big like yeah and a big solo sort of southern fried solo thing. And all of those things are cool. And I think it's not just like I'm talking about I'm in parts there do you know what i mean i'm talking about going. Oh, that part's good and that part's good and that part's good and that's often what i think about metal records a lot of the time now it's like these parts are good that's a good part and that's a good part and that's a good part i actually there are full songs on this record that i think i'm like that is a good song like to me that is a good piece of songwriting karma do or die salvation um and I think broken glass as well. I think I think are well written songs, as well as being big riffs and stuff. I don't, you know, I don't think you know they're not Elton John. Um, they're not the great, you know, not amazing songwriters or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not Bruce Springsteen, but I don't think they're obviously not trying to be. Um, but I do think they're actually fair. Like they're better songwriters than I think a lot of these bands are.
1: Yeah. I i can't I can't disagree with that. I think they are clearly very talented songwriters. They know how to put these parts together and they know how to bring in you know myriad influences. They clearly know what they like and what they want to do. There's no denying that this is not a messy album at all this is an incredibly taut, lean album mm-hmm. and i I think it's really good for that. There are just points on it where it just it just doesn't do it for me and you know I can't say it's bad. you shouldn't be trying to get yeah. big like how dare you? That's not what I'm trying to say. Um, I don't know. It's just. You
0: know. Do you think
1: it's a shame that they f- they clearly feel like I mean you say like you
0: know they're trying to get big and all this kind of stuff. Do you, th- do you think it's a shame that the the avenues to m- make your band bigger, particularly in this scene, because you know on on our show I know you you listen to the show so you'll be aware, we speak about really big artists, really really big artists, and they don't have there is no. You know one map that Kendrick Lamar has to walk down to become a huge artist. He does whatever he wants. Like there is no in in I'd say in hip hop and in electronic music particularly and probably now in pop as well. There is no set I guess those are more commercially viable um genres to begin mm. with. But there's no map creatively, or there's no path, there's no one sort of road this is the sole road that you may take to get to arena level if you're going to play those genres where it does feel like in metal like i say the bottlenecking of here is how you get big in metal and there's only one like one ultimately depending on what type of band you are there's only one there's a fork in the road and you go down one of i think it's three you've
1: got three options and they're all exactly the same Mm. ultimately and that's a shame I think that's a shame it, right? it's absolutely a shame yeah um, when you think uh, you know kind of within the world of the, um, the massive umbrella that is metal and all its ridiculous number of subgenres, you know there's so much vibrance and so much creativity and it is such a shame that those bands don't get rewarded for you know for pushing boundaries and doing interesting things and I'm I think I think to me it speaks to that kind of it's the post new metal schism the, the sort of post 2000s new metal schism where uh i think i think it was you who said actually um hybrid theory well yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah let's not review that um but that there was <laughs> you know there was this kind of you know new literally new metal this new wave of stuff coming through and the old guard didn't really like it and so it became very factionalized and i think now 20 odd years on from that we've now got even more factions and so there's so many people saying no you can't do this that's not you know that's not this music in a nutshell yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to hold myself back there <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean there's so there's so much gatekeeping mm-hmm. I think you know gatekeeping's the word and it's it's such a shame that there are yeah there's only one way that metal bands get big these days and you know if that's the path they've got to take you know I think you know Malevolent's clearly brilliant musicians this album's not massively for me they're clearly great at what they do if they do want to get big, and there's only one path for them, let them take it. I'm, you know, I, I'm still going to listen to their future albums. You know, I'll probably still see them. You know, uh, maybe at festivals because they're going to end up playing big stages at big festivals, aren't they? Mm-hmm. No one hates metal as much as metal fans. <laughs> oh, it's so
0: true. Um, but it's kind of not as well because there are a bunch of people mm-hmm. who like, like. It's the thing. Like, I I had such a good time listening to this. Like, I, I don't know what it was about it, but I was like, I put it on and I was like, I've not sat down and listened to it. I'm going to fucking have a look at like what I've been listening to broadly. Classic. Sorry about this. again going off on a little. I listened to Poison the Well recently uh, and I listened to Dillinger Escape. I mean, did, 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 did it just Escape like a metal band? Not really. Oh, there's a, a new band who've gotten out. I can't say I've reviewed it for Metal Hammer. There's a new like kind of metal band who I reviewed for Metal Hammer who are a bit more kind of. I guess weirder kind of Queens of Stone Age thing, but they're fucking brilliant. We'll probably talk about it at one point on this podcast. But yeah, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I've not really listened to, like, even like the Midnight Sugar album, we reviewed that and I was like, yes, all right. You know what I mean? It's all right. Mm. But there's not really been, and the Helpless, I I did like that Helpless album, um, but I've not really kind of, it's not even like I've listened to loads and gone, oh, it's all shit. I've just not even bothered listening to a load of stuff that's from metal. And I think so when I was like, oh fuck it, Malevolence, I like Malevolence, mm. I'm going to whack this on. As soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, I do like this shit. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe my lack of context for, I mean, I feel like my lack of context for everything else that was going on in metal at the moment is both helping me enjoy this album but then also maybe, I think I would, if, if I was listening to more of it, I'd be able to go, oh well, it sounds too much like this or it sounds too much like that but, because I don't, have that in my head right now at the moment i think when you get a good one when you get just a big load of old oh, riffs like, oh, they, i mean they yeah. clearly write fucking brilliant riffs and that was like some of the riffs on this are fucking mm. awesome and i love a gang vocal that that gang vocal in karma is fucking great yeah i i i like for whatever the reason was i really like this so um Yeah, that's what I thought. Malicious Intent by Malevolence is out now. Right, now, we're going to do it. We've saved him till last. Bless his little face. Um, He won't mind waiting. Uh, So, here we go. Now... Last week I did actually say I probably won't review Harry Styles and I spoke to Renfri during a week and so I listened to Malevolence and then I was like I might listen to that Harry Styles album and I called Renfri and I was like do you think we should do Harry Styles and he was like no but he's not here so uh, (laughs) me and Sam have decided to do it anyway Harry Styles Harry's house will be number one across the globe this week it's the third studio album from the former One Direction man turned enigmatic pop chameleon I asked you on Twitter our listeners Would you like to hear us talk about Harry Styles? Because one of us really wants to talk about the new Harry Styles. And here's what you said. Uh, Sam Lomack said, I'm all for you covering Harry Styles. Life's too short to limit the musical boundaries of the podcast. Thank you, Sam. Uh, Claire said, No. Um, Luckily, I don't care what Claire thinks. Um, Carl Light has said, If it means Steve is going to get harassed and argue with a of Harry Styles fans on Twitter, I'm all for it, to be honest. I very much doubt that's going to happen, Carl. I very much doubt that that's going to happen. Um... Brad is 77 said, having listened to the album, I think it's interesting enough to give a little time to. Uh, Jerry says, <laughs> review whatever the fuck you want. Thank you, Jerry. Didn't need to swear. Um, but also we had uh fan Vet said, don't care about his music, but I do care that he keeps pretending not to be the straightest boy on earth, which he is. I've got the best Kadar and it ain't pinging. Well, now, being in certain circles with certain people who work in certain parts of this industry, you get to hear things and you get to things revealed to you. I couldn't possibly say one of the things that I know about Harry Styles, but you might want to give that gaydar a little tweak, actually, my friend, because I've heard some things about Harry Styles which are absolutely fine and perfectly fine things for him to do and get on with. But I'm not sure that I—I I think he's, I, yeah, from what I know, nothing wrong with that, though, is there? Nothing wrong with being gay. Absolutely not,
1: or dressing differently, which is what he does. Let's well, just say so he dresses differently, yeah, yeah. but yeah, wearing a Gucci gown on the cover of Vogue. Oh, he loves you know.
0: it. He loves it. He's a yeah. he is a funny he's a funny little man. But who would have imagined this? Really, like one of the is from One Direction, um, Well, he's been sort of quietly, I suppose, not so quietly, reinventing himself as this sort of enigmatic indie pop art pop darling over the last few years. Harry Styles. And it's got to the point where I couldn't really ignore it anymore. I mean, this is not completely unheard of. Obviously, NSYNC weren't the the coolest band in the world. Justin Timberlake went on to be, you know, a, a very, very good solo artist. Obviously, take that, we're just a pop band. Yeah. And then Robbie Williams is brilliant, isn't he? Well, I was gonna say Mark Owen. Clementine (laughs) still gonna I'll I'll always rep for The Green Man by Mark Owen which I think is actually a very good record and yeah Robbie Williams is obviously big as well but he's he's rubbish uh, yeah It is terrible, yeah. And, um, you know, Bruce Dickinson was in Iron Maiden and then he went on to have a solo career. So you can be in rubbish bands and go on to do solo stuff, although, unfortunately, in Bruce Dickinson's case, his solo stuff was rubbish as well. So that's not really a great comparison, to be honest. Uh, But, yeah, I put this on just, you know, out of sort of, I guess, curiosity, not really thinking that we were going to cover it at all, really. And the first track, Music for a Sushi Restaurant, came in and i was like "Fuck me this is a fucking banger what a tune oh yes what a tune
1: yeah. music the way it just comes. Uh, sorry I was just, it literally comes screaming in mm-hmm. and then there's that liquid funk bass line and oh it's so soulful um there's that there's there's points in it where i'm like as is he's he is properly walking the line between genius and insane there's the bits where he's scatting and you know,
0: yeah it's like, all like all, all
1: it's fucking like, mad. Uh, mad mad madness
0: but um ah oh, yeah absolutely love that song straight mm-hmm. away i was like fuck me this is brilliant like first listen half you know halfway through the track i was like this is absolutely unbelievably brilliant so great um I think it's probably like to be honest. It's so great and it's so like this is exactly what I want. Like kind of <laughs> enigmatic white pretty boy trying to do prince, uh, that it never it never hits that high again for this for me on that on this record. I fucking love that that song. But that's not to say that this isn't just a very very good record. Like this is genuinely a very good record, Sam.
1: It absolutely is, I would counter music for a sushi restaurant being the best song uh I would go for daydreaming, which I think is just a massive lush pop tune. I think that is a, an, an absolute standout,
0: yeah, I mean that is wicked, brass, mm. big brass, really good bassline, yeah, mm. fucking excellent like I mean I've gotta be honest i you know this jumps between very kind of slight um acousticy pop indie pop stuff and some just very cool sort of big bangers i guess and um for me i'm definitely i err towards the 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 big banger stuff is mm-hmm. much more where i like this record late night talking big old synth shit fucking great big old stabs of synth love that this first bit of grape, uh, of grape juice sounds like it's going to be all dark and heavy. And then it just mm. transitions into this piano part. And I was like, that's that's good songwriting that. That's really great. It goes from this kind of what sounds like it's going to be this sort of dark riffy thing. And the song's cool as fuck. Um, as it was as a bit of a sort of Caribbean modern pop thing, which I'm not that keen on generally. But I think the chorus is big, super duper big. Um I can see the kind of David Bowie comparisons in a song like Little Freak which mm. is very odd and has a lot of sonic deviation on it. It's deceptively slight as a song, but it's actually a lot more complex I think than it, than it appears at first. I think Cinema is really loush and sounds like a kind of young Peter Gabriel. Um and it's got a kind of it's got a, it's got a crash symbol on that song that fucking malevolence would be proud of. <laughs> that, 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 yeah. that, that. It, like there's some fucking awesome shit on this record real good
1: starts goes beat down
0: would love to see it
1: yeah. um sorry oh, i felt like you were about to say something
0: i know i was going to say well i was actually going to say how about you what's your um what's your favorite kind of flavor from this record
1: i think we're very much of the same mind i think it's where yeah he's recalling where he's doing this kind of interesting mix i feel that is uh, throwback to like 70s soul and funk but then it's also uh, obscenely TikTok ready mm. massive tunes uh, i think it's yeah I, it's when it goes balls to the wall pop and when it goes a bit mad i really really like i think it's interesting you saying um about cinema being quite a complex song i think this record is really really quite unusual um this is the album i've listened to the most of the ones we've done this week just mm-hmm. purely through you know having it for longer um and also because i've enjoyed it a lot um there's a really strange um not well not strange uh, really curious through line on this album uh in the lyrics i don't know how much harry Styles is playing a character but i think it's a really really astute examination of kind of toxic masculinity and where men of a certain age uh harry styles is actually just shy of two months older than me where men of a certain age are kind of being asked uh, asked to ask questions about themselves and their own behavior um i think it starts with as it was there's um this lyrical passage answer the phone harry you're no good alone why are you sitting on the floor what kind of pills are you on and it's like oh um you you're right mate like it yeah. sounds like Harry Styles is in a bit of crisis, and then you get to something like Little Freak. I'm thinking about who you are, your delicate point of view. I'm not worried about where you are, who you go home to. I'm just thinking about you. It begins to have this weird kind of disconnected feel to it. It's almost like it's like a breakup album, but he can't see what he's done wrong. It's like, oh, you know, like I I still love you. You know, I'll I'll protect you. I'll be the big man. You know, I'll I'll look after you. Uh, Not acknowledging the other half of the relationship's own wants and needs. Um, Yeah, I think he he plays quite a fractured figure on this. And I I struggle to actually kind of come down on the side of the fence. Is he after sympathy? Is he after revenge? Or is he just completely lost and trying to explain his way out of a dark place that he doesn't really understand? Because, you know, there's loads of euphemistic references to a lot of alcohol let's chat about medication and drug use and (laughs) I
0: I spilt my drink on your friend and I'm not sorry there's that yeah yeah paraphrasing that but
1: yeah that's that's in there as well yeah and then there's this kind of I don't know it feels so measured and considered I think it's a really interesting and calculated tale he's telling Uh, especially the fact that he never actually um, uses the word sex but so very very clearly that's kind of what's a driving force behind a lot of this because it's a sexy album like it's mm-hmm. slinky uh, and at the same time quite massive and really alluring um like cinema being the main one you know yeah he's with a lady they're necking but you know he doesn't actually go as far as you know saying what explicitly what they're doing it's all euphemistic and it's i don't know it's kind of deliberately i think trying to paint an immature character who doesn't really understand his place in a world that's changing um, and is really resistant to it. I think that's an interesting take.
0: I mean, I have to say that passed me by a fair bit. I, I did notice quite a lot of references to, you know, having a good time, if you will, mm. in the many, like, I guess um, it's, it feels like a record, which is, um, seeped in excess whilst also simultaneously kind of bored of it is what Mm. i kind of thought overall now you're saying that um but i definitely didn't get i mean as as much as you've just kind of put out there i definitely didn't get that i think sometimes it it does when the tunes are so strong and i think they often are so strong that it is hard to kind of sometimes on like sometimes on pop albums it takes a little while before you go hold on a second This guy's not all right. He sounds like he is because he's playing this big, massive pop banger. But actually, lyrically, he's talking about something else. So that kind of has—I've missed that initially. I mean, I—you know—I haven't listened to this as much as um, I've listened to it a fair. I have listened to it a fair few times. But so, like last week, I think I'd listened. I'd, listened to the Kendrick album like 30 times before we came <laughs> out to review it so I was like yeah. I know what's going on I think I know what's going on here whereas I probably haven't come to Harry's and I, I guess I didn't expect I wasn't on you know my, my senses weren't as attuned to go I must listen out for exactly what it is that Harry starts mm. saying because you know the the, the build-up to this and you know what he's been talking about in terms of like what it's about stuff is you know saying it's oh I I, I wanted to make a record which is sort of you know, just if I was to create my house, what would each room sound like? That's as far as I knew sort of thematically what it was about. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going and going, oh, it's a very sort of personal exploration into his psyche and stuff. But um, now sort of thinking back on it, having you said that, I'm trying to sort of piece it together as we record sort of thing. And there are definitely things where you go like, oh, there were a few p- 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 parts where I was like, oh, oh, that's a bit you know, that's a bit dark or that's a bit sort of um self deprecating or that feels a bit like, you know, sort of self loathing or whatever. Mm. Um Yeah, that's interesting. But that's what makes I suppose that's what makes good albums, isn't it? I mean there probably is more of a depth to this than I'm than I've initially picked up on. And it's interesting that you've you've picked up on it. But in terms of just have but also I think we say this quite a lot, like in terms of something just to sort of whack on and listen to. It's a oh. lovely thing. It's a lovely thing to listen to whether you get those those extra bits or not really, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, it's a great space to be in. Um I think, you know, obviously the lyrics uh, can be quite challenging, which I, I for one obviously did not expect from the bloke who was in One Direction. Um mm. which is basically the last time I heard, like I'd paid attention to Harry Styles to be honest. Um Yeah, but I think it's yeah, there's so many just lush and really kind of quite easy Massive instrumental passages and things like that that it's it's a nice album you could have on in the background but i do think there is quite a lot to mine on it and i think that it's an album you can enjoy in several levels it can be yeah you just walk into work or whatever and you've got it on for or you're getting on the tube or whatever for 15 minutes or it can be something you sit down in the dark and really hyper analyze and i think and it fills sort of every category in that i don't think it is just one or the other but um, mm. yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a great-sounding pop album.
0: It does, yeah. It sounds yeah. really good. I mean, it's stuff in it like, I mean, keep, I've written "Keep Driving" is like Paul Simon meets Bon Iver, if either of them were cool people, were like <laughs> cool, beautiful people. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it kind of like, if I have a criticism of it, um, other than you know, I think some of the slur songs, I'm not as like, not even that I think are bad, but I just don't think are quite as good. Um, Matilda's got a really nice guitar part I think that's one of the better ones But yeah. I, I think Love of My Life uh, is a really good way To end the record mm. It's kind of murderously 80s sounds To that record, to that song And But Satellite and Boyfriends Both to me were Slight non-events I
1: would say I think they're the obvious weak, weak links In the album yeah I, yeah, I certainly don't think this is perfect, you know, even though I've just kind of gone on this weird, like, psychoanalytical rant about what I think it's about, and, you know, clearly that implies that I've quite enjoyed it. Um, yeah, uh, going back to Love Love of My Life, I think I think that's a really nice note to end on. It's 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 fairly dour, I felt. Um, mm. But I think it does a good job of, even just sonically sort of surmising the record's themes, which is, uh, as you said, um, I think it's kind of someone who's bored of, a fairly hedonistic lifestyle like they've had their fill and it's like well what else is for there for me now yeah yeah, yeah it's
0: true yeah it's, it's a good record this surprisingly good record and like you say I think there's definitely kind of depth and things to it that people who maybe might have gone oh fucking Harry Styles I think it's you know it's um he's sort of proven himself to be quite an interesting artist and it looks like as well looking at the uh, the track list in here I mean He's written the whole album himself. You know, he's he's written everything. He's he, he's done obviously like um he's credit is as doing lead vocal on all tracks, whistles, <laughs> glockenspiel, and keyboards. So it's not like he's just not doing anything else. Like yeah. other people are getting involved in it as well. Um uh but he is um you know, he's he's doing his he's doing his thing. Um yeah, it's very good it's very good that is harry's house by harry styles i never thought we'd say that uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. on this show but here we are if you had to pick an album of the week sam what would you pick as your favorite album of the week uh, harry if styles has, for me you
1: don't have to. I, i'm is quite it? happy to yeah harry styles is the one for me uh, i do think um uh actually no yeah it's just harry styles for me that is my clear standout personally
0: really I would have Mercury Dave as my as my personal favourite.
1: I think Mercury Dave is very, very good. I think Harry Styles yeah. does it more for me. Okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll allow it. Thank you.
0: Uh, before we go, there's only one real bit of news that I kind of want to talk about. It's been a kind of quiet week for news, but I think this will lead on to a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, there's been a new study that finds only 13% of UK festival headlines this year are women so specifically women. That's not me being whatever. Uh, a new study has gathered a disappointing statistic about the inequality still very much present within the music industry. Specifically, the date reveals that only 13% of headlines of the UK's top festivals this year are female, despite numerous events promising five years ago to achieve a 50-50 gender balance across their lineups by 2022. Um, they've analysed bills from Glastonbury, Isla White, Reading and Leeds, Download and more and that's what they found i kind of asked everyone on twitter uh what they thought about it and um you know we got some pretty interesting um we got some pretty interesting feedback from it particularly one which i'm going to read this one out definitely from an anonymous source sam mm-hmm. an anonymous source somebody didn't want to be named Okay, who um works for uh works within the music industry mm-hmm. and has knowledge so I'm going to kind of pick up that. I'm not going to go too much in case I'm not going to out this person um, talking about a particular festival that they work a- around or alongside or for whatever I know they offered headline slots to multiple female artists each one of them said no no idea of the reasons exactly why but the usual reasons are not in a touring cycle the money isn't right may other other commitments or exclusives or may just not want to do it can't speak for other festivals and yes more can definitely be done but it isn't always as simple as here's a list of female acts that could headline festival x as an industry we need to do more to build female acts to be headliners first then the pool is bigger and the chance of securing a big headline act increases just because there aren't more female headliners doesn't mean the bookers haven't tried um which i guess is certainly something which you most people certainly when you go online and people are moaning about it i'm not sure they take that particular business model of it in, into consideration um I'll read out some of the other people's comments because we've got quite a few on this uh, in a little bit but what's your take on this I mean we've spoken about me and Renfrew have spoken about this quite a lot on the, on the show but what's your kind of take on this as a, a news story
1: um I think it's yeah it's kind of uh, yeah on the surface, it's a very depressing statistic. You know, you look at it and it's like, oh yeah, the music industry is still a boys game, you know, it's just, you know, white middle-class men, you know, in a band between, you know, one and nine members or whatever, consistently at the top, and there's no room for anyone else. I think what you've just read out from your anonymous source, though, I think that that's a very kind of... I don't know, it's very interesting and measured consideration because, yeah, it it's not that well to my mind it's not that there aren't female artists out there who are who aren't worthy of doing these things it's perhaps um so uh, take download for example you know people often say oh you know why haven't paramore done it or whatever and it's like well maybe they don't want to you know
0: can't imagine a world in which paramore would want to do that no
1: i can't imagine it at all so it's like so you know you're kind of barking at the wrong tree there um and they're
0: certainly not going to go first no do you know what i mean like i think if like that you know offspring are the like when you think that of those big bands from that scene offspring are the only band who have headlined that festival Mm. blink haven't green day haven't all-time low haven't day to remember haven't uh you know obviously New Glory and Sum 41 and aren't big enough mm. they're not big enough to headline it but like from the ones that you could say would be big enough to headline it from the Warped Tour pop punk like oh well that's not true My Chem headlined it and got bottled off stage yeah. so why the fuck would Paramore go so you've had the offspring 15 years after they were or oh, well, more like kind of I suppose Pretty Fly for a White Girls so yeah nearly 10 years after their peak mm. you had the offspring and everyone moaned about it and you bottled my chemical romance off stage why why would we want to be the first band to do that mm. like let Green Day have a go at doing it first let blink have a go at doing it first we're not going first fuck that shit
1: yeah they wouldn't uh, absolutely and and they haven't yeah well yeah um yeah i suppose yeah M- my read on the story yeah i think it's a depressing statistic but i think there is a lot more to it than oh people don't want to see women or you know there aren't enough of them going i mean what's your what's your take on all this
0: um so i mean i've spoken about it a fair bit and i was thinking about it. i was actually thinking about it in the shower yesterday because i like i remember saying i i did uh re- when people were moaning about Reddin not having them i did i found i did this a few years ago now but i did a, a series of i actually did some research to find out exactly how many non-male headlights like, people out of the band out of the amount of people in each band how many were headlines that were women and, stuff. and And in the 90s it worked out at a far higher percentage than it did in the in the new millennium right the percentage was actually a lot higher because you had bjork you had new order you had pulp you had um uh blah, 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 who else anyway there were a few more garbage um you know there were there were a fair few. And someone tweeted me and said, it's still not enough. It's still not, that still wasn't enough. That still wasn't enough. And I sort of thought to myself, well, I don't actually know in that part, at that point who could have headlined. Like, so say, for example, in 1996, which is the first year I went to Reading, one of the biggest artists on the face of planet Earth, particularly in guitar music, was Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette would have been asked to headline Reading. Mm. Because the Saturday headliner was black grape. Now you ain't telling me you are not telling me that the people who booked Reddin would rather have Black Grape headlining than Alas Morissette. Don't believe that for a fucking second. So they would have asked Alas Morissette, I have no doubt about it. And Alas Morissette would have said no, hence why we got Black Grape. You could go forward a few more because I was thinking like, well, okay, from that period, who actually didn't headline Reddin? Who probably could have headlined Redding? No doubt. Were massive in America they weren't big and big enough in the UK they're playing bricks you know kind of at their peak over here they're playing Brixton Academy which probably in the 90s would have just about made you big enough to, to be a Red Festival headliner probably but that was around 98, 99 even go 2000 I mean they rocked up at Glastonbury in 2002 no doubt halfway down the pyramid stage on you know when they just released hella good and you know that that album was out, and so I'm not sure. No doubt, in the '90s, in Great Britain, actually were big enough to headline the festival. And you look at who did headline that festival when no doubt were kind of selling out, just about selling out Brixton Academy. Beastie Boys, Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Manic Street Preachers, Eminem. They're all much. They're all undoubtedly much bigger than No Doubt were. So if they did ask No Doubt, chances are they probably wouldn't have been headliners. Skunk and Nancy, mm. Skunk and Nancy's peak, I think maybe kind of 97, 98, 99, You could have got Skunk and Nancy to headline Redding, but it did have garbage headline at that point. So you know, I was sort of thinking about it, and I was going, other than that, my Set didn't, No Doubt didn't, Skunk and Nancy didn't. In terms of a a band with a like a female front woman i'm not sure like hole weren't big enough hole were not big enough they sub smashing pumpkins in 95 they weren't big enough they never got they never got bigger than that in the uk i don't know who else there were around that period like bjork headlined it bjork was massive obviously people who said pj harvey pj harvey um wasn't big enough around that time she didn't sell as many records that's just a fact um Porter Zed. um again, I think Porter Zed probably weren't as big or big enough to headline. I think they would have been second or third from the top. Uh, you know, the, the biggest they ever got was headlining the other stage at Glastonbury, so I don't think they would have been big enough. If you'd got Tory Amos, would have been big enough, but the outrage that Tory Amos would have caused, headline in you know, people went mad, hardly anyone watched Bjork. Because it was like, what's Bjork doing here? And you look back and you go, what's fucking suede headline? Surely no doubt were bigger than suede. They weren't. Not in that period, they weren't. So I think like, it was obviously not a kind of consideration in those days. And I think the pool was smaller. And people, you know, people go, yeah, but why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Yeah, why is that? Ask that question and go, why in the 90s did we not? Kind of um, have when the kind of riot girl, yeah, you know, why is it taking 20 years for Bikini Kill to come have to come back and people are suddenly recognizing that they're a really great, important band? Why is that suddenly happening now when they were, you know, when them and Bath and Toyland and L7, like, what, why was that? And, you know, I think it's a fair question, but I don't think that is the job necessarily of festivals every year. It's really, really hard. I think, for a festival to... It's not just the festival's job to, to create headliners. We all kind of have to do it together, don't we? Surely. Yeah. We've all got to support those artists at their to- concerts and their tours, listen to their music. like go. And, and it's hard to know how big someone is right now. Like, you know, Little Sims Arena Tour here in the UK, she was doing like 1,000 cap venues in the US. Like... You, it's hard I think it's become a lot harder to know how big artists really are it used to be fucking easy it used to be easy they had a number one record they must mm. be big do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean yeah. that was it they're on top of the pops they're playing Wembley Arena on their next tour they're obviously big look how many records they sold they sold 4 million copies of that record that is a brick like, I think it's a lot harder now so that kind of muddies the waters a little bit as well um, but I do definitely think uh, so I think it's, I, I've got a little bit of sympathy for festivals. But I think at this point, I think we are we are teetering on the prep on the pre- precipice of lots of certainly lots of non-male artists about to become massive. I think we've th- 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 for me the for me, the, the key point for for this in, in kind of in musical history is that kind of 2008. 2009 onwards when Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and Rihanna became much and Taylor Swift became way more interesting Mm. than the majority of guitar bands. When that happened, I think we're now we're we're a generation on now and I think that means we should start now seeing those artists post that become bigger. The problem is, is all of those artists are broadly speaking pop, hip hop, R&B soul, electronic whatever glastonbury has no fucking excuse yeah. reading and leeds has no fucking excuse you mentioned download uh hard for download as a, as a headliner hard for download to look like i think we sort of said this before who can download get as a headliner that would 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 adequately fill that and not and they wouldn't go bankrupt you can't make venom but you can't go well you know what we'll just make venom prison headline well, they're, they're playing the underworld in Camden. You know, they're playing the five hundred people in in London when they play. They're not, they're not doing. The i they're doing two nights at the O2. Business sense dictates that that's always going to be a priority. Um, so I think across the board, it's across the board for those of the other festivals. I look at kind of you know Red, Red and Leeds or or Glastonbury or whatever, and I do go you know tut tut. I think for 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 downloads and and Bloodstocks and th- those kind of festivals it, it's a little bit more difficult
1: I think you're absolutely right and I think there is also the um, yeah the culture surrounding you know rock and metal as well which you, has been predominantly very masculine you know very macho sometimes hyper masculine to the point of absurdity but um, I do think it's interesting um, I did I wrote a paper when I was doing my undergraduate degree do you know how mm-hmm. many women have appeared on stage during a main stage headline set at Download since from two thousand and three to two thousand
0: and nineteen? Two thousand and nineteen. Okay, I was gonna say Cassiette came on with Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. Don't know if that counts, but then obviously it doesn't because that was in yeah. Sorry, I submitted submitting um, this before that
1: <laughs> before the Download pilot happened. Yeah. So. Okay.
0: Oh mate, I want to have a guess. I'm gonna have a guess at. Oh fucking hell! I'm going through all of the. Main stage artists, like, in my brain right now. Um, I reckon... I, oh, my God. Um, uh, I actually can't think of one off the top of my head. I honestly can't think of one. Hold on. That can't be right. There must be at least one. Um, oh... Uh I can't think of I can't think of a single one. Uh
1: you would have never got this to be honest. Um it was Melissa Reese, um, who was part of the semi reformed Guns N' Roses uh lineup. Yeah. Right. She uh, to the best of my knowledge, she is the only woman who has appeared or oh, until twenty twenty one, was the only woman who had appeared uh on the main stage at Download during a main stage headline set. Um which I think does speak to that is fucking it's mad isn't it mad. yeah but i think it does speak to you know that metal is, is a male dominated genre and you know most of my favourite bands um you know aren't all you know blokes uh, or, or, or aren't made up entirely blokes you know you got Svalbard, venom prison employed to serve etc cetera, etc cetera, sangfroid uh, so many great bands out there but as you say economically they don't have what it takes to be in those positions i think there needs to be a concerted push but yeah it's not necessarily only down to the festival you know you can't just expect the promoters to do it you know like you say people need to go out and support these bands if they want to see them succeed um but then at the same time you know we are talking about you know there are these bands there are svalbard etc out there between 2003 and 2019 there were sorry let me just make sure i got this right there were 7,622 individual performers on the four stages at download. Obviously some of the stages didn't exist at the beginning, but you know, for argument's sake. Of those, 2.72% were not male. Jesus
0: Mm. Christ, that is mental.
1: Yeah. It's quite a staggering staggering fact, really. Uh, You know, I went into this project obviously trying to be as unbiased as possible obviously everyone has their biases um, you know I've been brought up in a family where the two things that we're really interested in is heavy metal and feminist theory so you know I kind of had a a bit of a yeah a bit of an expectation but it was um, yeah shocking to see that when I came to the end of it 27 2.72% of-, of people who have been on a stage at download between 2003 and 2019 not male
0: that is absolutely fucking mm. mind-blowing i mean if you'd said if you'd said to me guess i probably would have i probably wouldn't have thought it was very yeah. high and my guess would have been around kind of between i guess like 13 and 15 percent. and i would have thought that was probably not that great but then i was like wow when you look at you know you, you've got an l7 and Nightwish, are uh, within temptation uh, like every year i felt like there were 2.72
1: percent mm. the highest percentage that i've been able to find um you know kind of reliably able to um corroborate was 2004 when there were just the three stages um mm-hmm. it reached a peak of 6.31 percent of the performers were non-male
0: Man, I mean, again, God, there's so much to unpack from that because I think there's, you know, I've said it before and I think people have got pissy at me for saying it before, but metal, you said metal is a male-dominated genre. I think for so many years, it was not just a male-dominated genre. It was a genre that leaned in hard on masculinity. It it, it, It kind of defined itself by it's masculinity and I'm not saying that as an insult I'm not saying it as a positive or a negative it's just a fact that's that's what it was it leaned in you know and and you know so there's that and there and that turned into often you know very misogynistic elements of you know the stuff that we're all more than aware of these days I think because you know the days of when people used to kind of gawp at angela gossow and go oh my god look at angela gossow she can sing Mm. like a man like you know and that was sort of the highest compliment that you could pay a woman in the band is oh my god you could be like a man and i was always a bit like uh and then in the last sort of you know like five five six years ago when we started to you know when i when i started to discover bands like Oathbreaker, where I was like, Well, this is really heavy, but it's a completely different sort of heavy. It's a completely different sort of heavy. And I really hoped that, and and I thought, you know, like that there have been women, you know, I've said this loads of times before, there have been women in metal bands before, yes, but it always felt to me like it was people kind of judging them by how masculine Mm. they could be how kind of how much they could ape masculinity and i don't think that really helped but i think like when you go back sort of five years or so and you listen to i mean I, actually this week i put on the last two svalbard albums back to back and i was like this is fucking brilliant this is fucking brilliant and they you know they they, they come from a perspective that i i just feel is very very unique mm. to metal it's not even particularly I'm not, it's not even particularly unique to music because i think you can go to other genres that, 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 that these are kind of sentiments that have been expressed a lot but Serena is expressing them within metal and that felt kind of fucking revolutionary because I was like well this is definitely not there's nothing masculine about Svalbard at all really it's something completely mm. different it's still hard but it's a different type of hardness which I was like oh thank god metal sounds a bit different you know it's a different sort of perspective and I've said that a lot I know some people are like oh how how pat some people are like oh yeah but some people are like oh how patronizing and it's not meant to be patronizing it's not meant to be kind of oh I'm an ally and it's not not meant to be like anything really it's just how I felt listening to the music oh good this Mm. is a different perspective like it 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 sounds different it's much more interesting to me than just a another but you know no shade to malevolence but like you know we've sort of heard what malevolence do many many times so I was kind of hoping that that would have elevated those artists more at this point in that particular scene but I don't feel like that's really happened I, I just don't I don't really feel like that has actually happened like what you've just said you go up to 2019 I mean I suppose what we'll download this year we've got AA, like A.A. Williams is on the bill let me get the download let me get the download bill up right now just if I feel like I'm yeah, picking I, I on download <laughs> um, well to be
1: honest I feel like I've just come onto this like, show been really negative all day apart from about Harry Styles but oh well <laughs>
0: mate right, you're in <laughs> wonderfully um uh, no mate i think um i think that's a that's a fair that's a fair thing to say let's have a look at the uh, the actual lineup of the download festival you've got so it looks to me Wargasm. um from what i'm aware of Wargasm appear to be the only non all male band on the main stage lacuna coil are on the second stage uh are on the second stage i don't know some of these bands so aaron jones chris barris band dirty honey skinned i don't know so i can't say but still panther the darkness skillet baroness tremonti wednesday 13 massive wagons like last international control the storm i'm not seeing any that i'm like oh definitely that's them uh, Bar- um, Baroness have
1: got Gina gleason these days that's the only one that I can yeah uh, of the names I can immediately say
0: um, uh, Electric wizard A.A. A. Williams Venom Prison uh, Yakana Twin Temple that's the only mm. ones I can definitely say that's not a lot is yeah. it it's not a lot and they're all, you know, there's more down on the fourth stage than there is anywhere else. So that kind of, that it, it's not really happened. It's not really happened, um, certainly, at download. I mean, I'd be kind of interested. I don't know if Glastonbury have done stage splits yet, but I would be kind of fairly interested to look at Glastonbury. But I don't know, man. I think, like metal metal really does seem to be completely its own ecosystem and i don't really like in in all honesty i don't really see much changing in the next five years i kind of thought maybe six years ago that we might start to see those bands creep up um you know various different bands creep up into into better positions on you know kind of rock and metal festivals hasn't really happened you know you still got corn and deftones subbing still got Iron Maiden and Kiss up top haven't you again I feel like I'm shitting on download I'm not mean to do that I mean within the context of what we're talking about um, not a lot has actually changed Um, so yeah it's uh it's hard to say anyway i'm gonna see what people on twitter said um Anna has said i feel like the problem is more with the music industry in general yeah from what i've heard older successful female artists say it's been extremely sexy in the past and that there simply aren't enough non-male artists that really make people want to buy a festival ticket but that problem is probably more extreme in genres like rock and metal that rely on older artists because the most successful artists um don't get big enough to headline these days yes that is mm. uh, is a problem um uh, Daz Greer on Twitter said in terms of festival wide representation there's no reason why a 50-50 balance can't be achieved from my own personal top 20 albums list of 2021, 90, uh, sorry, 12 of the 20 were female solo artists or female fronted bands. And there were many other high profile releases i think there's a more general issue of festivals favoring tried and tested legacy access headliners and i doubt the representation amongst headline safe bands is, a, is as diverse it's a music industry issue not just festivals but maybe they could take a few more chances um uh, which is sort of something which you know a lot of people have said i mean um mh Mado. I think that's what the handle is at MH Madday. So I think the issue is more with how small the pool of headline bands there are. Headline band needs time to get to the state. It's usually fifteen to twenty years. At this point, if we're looking at download, for example, there have always been female artists in rock and metal, but the industry haven't given the longest standing female artists the push that they gave Maiden or Ramstein. There are tons of female artists that have flourish in recent years, and we'll definitely see a fair few of them make the leap, but they just haven't had the time to cultivate that audience or the industry nod yet. Once the big headline artists start to go away, those spots will need to be filled, and I think along with a real Evaluation of what a headline band looks like. It'll open up more opportunities there. At least that's what I hope. um uh Yeah, I mean, you know, I think most people that you know we can see sort of in broad agreement. This is this is a this is a, a music wide mm. thing which has been going on for fucking ages. I mean, we've spoken about it a bunch of times before. I had no idea like it was quite as bad as you had said from that. Download perspective. Although now I'm thinking about it, I shouldn't really be that surprised, should I? Really? I don't know because... if it's a surprise.
1: It's just yeah, disappointing. because you just you don't want it to be. Um, you don't want the, these numbers to be so low, and it's like, yeah, th- that's why. You know, when you said what was my kind of initial read on this as a story, it's like, well, yeah, it's it's a depressing statistic, certainly. Um, it's then yeah, it's then thinking about what what happens next. Uh, how do people make a concerted effort and and i mean you know it's all well and good me saying this i'm a white middle class bloke you know like i can talk about it till the cows come home i mean really i think we need to be asking those female artists um there was a really interesting piece that uh serena from svalbard did for metal socks back in 2019 which was called where are the women in bands at metal festivals uh i'll send you the link to that um I, you know maybe you want to tweet it out for people who want to find it i mean you can just google serena cherry metal sucks and you'll mm-hmm. find it um yeah and one of the points that uh serena makes in that is that actually for her as a female artist you know she wants to see great representation but she doesn't want it to be done through a kind of dogmatic there must be a 50 50 split thing
0: and I think that someone actually said that someone said oh we should have a kind of quota of 25% thing and I was like yeah so, but then as an artist and I think so I have we yeah, had not seen on the show before and she said like I don't want to be put on this bill just because I'm part of a quota and yeah. I don't think anyone wants that but at the same time I mean ultimately right now this is music is um, and art is subjective as to what you like and what you don't like and blah 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 me personally I cannot see any reason really I mean headliners I think that is headliners is you know it is about you take a fucking big risk when you book a you know an outside the box headliner as a festival you take a massive fucking risk and I can understand why festivals at the moment particularly a rock and metal festival even someone like Nightwish like even someone like Nightwish, you think right? Okay, do we have you know we we'd have to have the other bands surrounding Nightwish to really make a Nightwish headline set work at Download. Aside from Nightwish, and you've mentioned Paramore, no. I don't think Paramore are going to do it until Blink or Green Day or you know those kind of bands start doing it on a regular basis. I mean, Paramore aren't even. Paramore even together at the moment Hayley Williams has been doing her solo stuff so they might not even ever come back and like it's too late so whatever so Paramore feels like a a bit of an irrelevant one although they probably would be big enough to headline Although they can imagine the fucking outrage but in in terms of putting together a main stage bill there's clearly to me there's clearly enough good quality artists that are not solely compromised Mm. of males in rock and metal for you to be able to put on a really really diverse bill and even if half of them turned you down mm. you still got enough that right now I, I i actually think if they if download wanted to do a 50-50 split maybe 50-50 even even 50-50 maybe is slightly mm. ambitious for download i mean certainly after what i've just learned so you know but i think 30% doesn't feel like it would be it doesn't feel unrealistic does it too hard doesn't feel unrealistic at all i mean i've seen people who have done full three-day mm. download festival posters made up of bands who aren't with not one single artist that is a full male yeah band right i mean some of them had like you know within temptation headline like within within, nah. within temptation aren't big enough to headline download they're just not um but either you know you change the mm. festival so that they are or you you know at some at some point we need to find a way to you know for, for those bands to get big enough it's odd in to me like talking about venom prison and svalbard and uh employed to serve as like potential download festival headliners because they are like let's with all due respect to them as artists mm. they're so far away aren't they i mean they're not they're not even they're not even close none of them are even like none of them are even close to headlining oh, i don't know like a 2000 capacity venue in london they they they're, dec- they're they're all at least a de- like even if if they carried on the trajectory that their careers have been going on which is uh, you know rising they're still a decade at least a decade mm-hmm. away from headlining download yeah. if they ever got to that point point. and i can't i really can't see a death metal band Headline and download ever to be honest so i don't th- so i think you can mm. unless they massively change which i have on this new record to be fair to venom prison but unless venom prison were to mm. completely change then they're not going to headline download oh, yeah
1: that's the sad truth so. it is no. i mean oathbreaker aren't gonna
0: murk is not like none of those uh, as good as chelsea wolf's not as much as mm. i really really like all these artists I don't look at any of them and go you know when people talk about who are the next band that are going to come up and you look at Ghost and Parkway Drive Day to Remember fucking whoever Mm. do you know what I mean five finger death punch what do those bands have in common with the bands that we've just spoken about nothing literally nothing Mm. apart from they play guitars that's it so I don't it's you know yeah, it's, it's 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 weird. It's just weird because there'll be like in a couple of years you'll be like, I mean, I can see self esteem oh, headline yeah. in Glastonbury one day.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely.
0: Do you know what I mean? Like that, I'm like, oh, that that's gonna Little happen. Little Sims, once. yeah, yeah, yeah Little Sims, I can see headline in Glastonbury one day. Like, I can absolutely see that happening. You look at that and you go, that's a few years away. But like, you know, they got Billie Eilish this year. They were gonna have Taylor Swift before. Glastonbury do not mm. have the same problem. Glastonbury Glastonbury have a lot of artists That you go Okay well You know In a few years time That shit's gonna fucking fly Definitely I don't see it so much In rock and metal And that's not uh, A fucking Diss on those bands That's a diss on I guess You know It's the same things We were saying about malevolence There's not very many ways To traverse into that Sphere It's fucking mad (sighs) Ah. Anyway, anything uh, else, Sam, um, you'd I, like to add to that, that? Wrapped it up
1: quite nicely, um but in a <laughs> Thanks, uh, slightly yes, um downtrodden way, so know, yeah, exactly. Dave would I like
0: thought. it. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I like I also I also like it. Um anyway, look, that's the end of the show. Thanks very much for listening. about I, I didn't just vacuum moan at the end of that. I mean I pretty much definitely did. Uh, I'll be back next week sam you might not be uh, have, have i been but that have i been that might be who knows <laughs> no. Oh, no 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 not at, no, not at very all good. Um, thank you very much to, for coming on to get the invite uh do, do you want to pimp anything uh, particularly
1: uh, no yeah
0: <laughs> okay good well that's exactly <laughs> the kind of guest i love one who nothing no, going one on Has here. nothing to pimp um <laughs> no Um, you haven't got a book out that you want me to talk about for (laughs) half an hour or so anything like that no no okay fine good Um, All right, cool we'll be back next week Uh, I think we got Joyce Manor got an album out next week might do that Uh, don't know anyway thanks very much Sam and um, thank you for listening we'll be back next week cheers